Welcome, listeners, to Ernest Goes to Podcast, the podcast that seeks to find the answers to the questions swirling in your mind. About beloved American icon Ernest P. Worrell. It's a head trip, but don't worry, listeners, I'm the captain of this ship. My name is Aaron, and this is my lovely co-captain, David. Boogie. This is episode 7, Hey Vern, it's my family album, a special created before your hosts even existed. Let's dance. Well, David, <laughs> here we are. This has been a long time coming. It really has. I feel like the amount of questions that I ask you on a regular basis about like, Oh, Heron, was, um, was that in the family album? And you're like, no, you stupid idiot. <laughs> it's not. And everyone listening is like, I can't believe he hasn't seen it. <laughs> So, is anything Melda a world, Aaron? I don't know. Um, what about um? Uh, what about Ernest? Is Ernest in Ernest Family Album? <laughs> uh, spoiler alert: He is barely, if at all. So this is Hey Vern, it's my family album. This is actually the first long form Ernest special. We're joking about my preferred ignorance, but I actually didn't know that it was called Hey Vern, It's My Family Album. I thought it was called The Worrell Family Album. Yeah, I, I'd just been calling it that because it's, that, well, that's, I'm that, lazy, Sure, David. Uh, I think it's a, a fair shortening to make because that's the name of the book that Ernest is showing Vern that's right. in this special. He, yeah, that's the title of the mythical book that he's right. holding. It's like the never-ending story. It's got a little crest. It's the Orin is on the front, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he finds it in an attic. Okay, so this... I'm so sorry, now I'm just thinking about Ernest riding Falcor. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> okay, well, let's start at the beginning, David. <laughs> this is gonna, we're hopped up on pizzas and sodies and all the things we've ingested to facilitate this conversation. So, well um, said. Thanks. So, this happened in 1984. Mm. It's before Ernest goes to camp. Dr. Otto's 86, isn't it? Yeah, this actually predates Dr. Otto. Mm. So, it's this is the first long form thing that Ernest ever appeared in. And it does seem like basically the Ernest Brain Trust taking a shot at doing something long form after right. the commercial success of Ernest. Yeah. And it's got, like, to me, the same charm as Hey Vern, it's Ernest. <laughs> Well, uh, in the in the low budget backyard kind of filmmaking. Definitely. When I watched this with you, one of my first notes was and I thought Hey Vern, it's Ernest was low budget. <laughs> this looks like it was like somebody shot an actual feature and like the Ernest crew was like, "Can we have like the extra film that you guys are using at the end of the day to shoot this on?" But it's good. It's like, "Well, my cousin owns uh he he runs like the local fort relic in the next town over. We can hey, use man, that." Hey man, it was catered. They specifically thanked Gourmet Delights. Is that true? <laughs> I saw Garmin Delights in the thanks. But anyway, this has backyard charm. And it does. It has all of the backyards and a very disheveled attic. What really stood out to me about this special was that this is the varniest, earnest thing I have ever seen. And what do you mean by that, that? The tone of the entire special, it's unlike any of the other Ernest movies or specials. I agree with that, but I'm curious as to why you're saying that. I'm saying it because the tone of the sketches in this special feel like Jim Varney's stand-up routines. There's, gotcha. It's mainly weird characters telling stories from their point of view. Mm. Or like a lot of his stand-up is kind of like a character talking about themselves or a situation and how they describe things. And the way that they describe things and their lives is kind of where the humor comes from. Sure, I get that. And that's the same vibe I get through a lot of this special. Mm -hmm. And also and a lot of this special is just like Jim Barney in front of the camera. This is a doing Jim a Barney character tour de force. For like five straight minutes with like, there are shots of other people, but they don't necessarily need to be there. Or there are shots of other people who are also Jim Varney. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
yes, it's a showcase for him. Yeah, definitely. I still kind of don't know how people didn't see it and be like, we should steal that guy away from them. Yes, I think, you know, the special was not what I was expecting it to be. It was what did a, you expect? I guess something a little closer to Haven, but it felt kind of like all over the place. More than Haven, it's Ernest. It felt inconsistently all over the place. Haven, it's Ernest feels like other Ernest things. Whereas oh yeah, this yeah, kind of yeah. doesn't. So you mean inconsistent in the larger collection of Ernest things? Correct, correct. Oh yeah, that's but, what I'm trying to say. But you have to remember that it predates all those other things. No, no, no. But I mean, like literally, the only part of it I had seen was the Billy Boogie part, <laughs> which is. Well, that explains all you need to know. Well, yeah, and it's arguably (laughs) the most absurd, goofball-y That's what I mean. Like, it's just Jim Barney... Right. Varning it up as a character. He is indeed and doing just like, that. It's, this is like a set the camera down for four hours and walk away situation. It is definitely that. <laughs> all right, all right, Jim, we're rolling. Just do your thing. He doesn't even realize they left. Actually, it's this. All right, Jim, we're rolling. Okay, Jim. Yeah, because the photography is by Jim o- May. Only Jim's left on set. Jim May. Two yeah. Jim's. At the same time? I mean, we're exaggerating. Right. Um, but barely. For comic effect. We're being hyperbolic. I'm not. I was there on set. Um, the fact that this feels so different is part of why I love it. Sure. This is not a bad special by any means. It just doesn't, it feels like it doesn't quite fit in with the other things that we've already watched. I don't think it does. Yeah. I don't think it does. The fact that it's first and sure. they had no idea they were going to make movies. Oh, yeah. Or, that much is, is clear. Definitely before it was geared towards children. Oh. A hundred percent. What gave that away? <laughs> Yeah. So, because this special felt so different, I did ask for the aid of our friend Justin Lloyd, author of The Importance of Being Earnest, The Life of Actor Jim Varney, buy it now. And I just asked him if he could help us find out, not who wrote this, because we have the writing credits, but basically how much of this was from Varney. Mm-hmm. And thanks to him and Steve Leisure for getting back to us, letting us know that Ace Worrell, Billy Boogie Worrell, Lloyd Worrell and Pop are all Varney stories or bits or jokes that he told. Mm, Part of the Varney lore. And I was just like, I knew it. So this is a different one, Dave. It is. You know, it's not so different. There are kind of earnest book-ended segments. Oh, yeah. He, as the ever-present pitch man, Mm -hmm. shepherds us through the storied history of the Worrell family. He herds us through this insanity. Correct. I mean, this is interesting because, you know, these are earnest family members. We have to take them seriously, <laughs> according to the stated goals of this podcast. Sure. Um, with giant air quotes around seriously. Yeah. You know, just from the beginning, one thing that's kind of also unusual about this special is that it starts kind of like quietly. It's got like a serene opening and it's like, oh, we, why does he go to the attic? What's the impetus for that? He's standing in his attic. Oh, wait, no. He, he's telling Vern, hey, I was just in my attic. And then yeah, we cut to... He Jar Jar Binks walks by the window <laughs> where Vern and Vernet or Verna are eating breakfast. Know what Misa mean? He comes back and he's like, hey, Vern, guess what? You'll never believe what happened this morning. And he says he was up in his attic. And then we see Ernest in his attic. And this is where, yeah, it is unusually serene for an Ernest moment. He's just standing there and he says, look at all this junk, which I guess makes me think he might be thinking about cleaning it. He, he feels like very reflective. Like I almost expect he looks him like to an like, adult. He does. <laughs> I was waiting for like the got some nice light I mean, coming through some natural light. Yeah, it's just it's just Ernest having a real human moment. <laughs> it really is. No, I mean that's a joke, but it really happens. No, yes, there's a part that made you and me laugh where he just he just puts his hands on his hips and <laughs> surveys his attic, and for some reason we both just laughed at the pose he made. I mean, it's it's it endearing. Was, it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He's looking. He's just looking around. He's like, look at all this junk, and then he sees 
these two tin cans and he says it's his first toy. He's talking to himself. He is. He goes, There's... my first toy. I had some fun with these. With that tin can joke, I feel like if they did multiple takes, every take was Jim Varney picking up a different prop from that <laughs> attic and being like, boy, I had some fun with this. <laughs> a chainsaw. <But> we, can't... <laughs> we had some good my Thanksgivings. My first chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, he picks up the cans and he does that Roger Wilco bit, which, which is where he picks it up and he goes, Roger Wilco, I'm hit bad. Can you bring me in? Yes, we can bring you in, Roger Wilco, on number 12. He also does the same bit in Haver and It's Ernest. Oh, yeah. Basically, all of these specials and TV shows and spots are all Ernest Greatest Classic Hits. Classic It's Ernest. always just kind of like, oh, there's that gag again. <laughs> like, I feel like you could sort of port the repetition of Haver and It's Ernest out in, like, oh, yeah. both directions. And, like, just the entire Ernest oeuvre is... He's going to do the thing. Yep. And he did it. I laughed. So he's doing this tin can bit where he's two pilots, and then he becomes a British person. I just want to tell you, men, you've done a great service to Britain. We can't have Jerry hopping around among the hedgerows. We get to hear Ernest's British accent. It's about as good as mine. I would say it's better. Jeez, all right. Excuse me, are you Jim Varney? <laughs> I don't I was believe you that, are. I was not, but <laughs> I was implying that my British accent is not very good and neither is Jim Varney's. I disagree. I think it's very good. All right. It's just a certain kind of British accent. If any of my Brit friends are listening, you can tell me how bad it is. Let them judge. But what happens is that Ernest gets some cobwebs all over him and he immediately freaks out like a five-year-old and starts screaming for his wife yeah. to rescue him. And then I said, say the thing about getting eaten by cobs. <laughs> I've got cobwebs all over me. I'm going to be eaten by cobs. Yeah, he, he does. <laughs> Good times. He falls on the floor and screams. I love that he's just screaming for his wife, Edna. Yeah. This is at Ernest. I feel like if we had ever seen Ernest's wife, Edna, which is his second wife, is that the thing? That's what we read on, on Wikipedia, the most credible source ever, that Edna was Ernest's second wife. If anyone can source that or tell us why, I feel uh, like there's that'd a whole... be really appreciated. I think we're missing things that like were in newsletters at the time. That's what I was going to say. There was an Ernest Fun Club that we couldn't possibly have been a part of. Right. Which sucks. Uh, the Ernest prenatal fun club. Yeah. If we had ever seen Ernest's wife, Edna, I feel like he would do that bit where he's like, oh, I'm going to be eaten by cobs. And then it would just cut to her like downstairs doing something. And she'd just like look up towards the ceiling and be like, like shake her head in a way that's like, again. And then it would just cut back to Ernest doing whatever he's doing. I don't even think she would even roll her eyes. I think she would just completely ignore it. Or that. There's just no reaction whatsoever. It's that It's frequent. that commonplace. Yeah. So she doesn't come to rescue him. But what happens is a giant pile of boxes falls on top of him and either stuns him or temporarily knocks him unconscious. Right. But the family album book is on top and he comes to and he notices it and his mouth goes wide and he's like, it's my family album. Vern would love to see this. Oh, Ernest. Of course he would. <laughs> and then we cut back to Ernest showing Vern his family album at the window, which means that he purposefully walked by Vern's window fully intending to come back. Like, oh, didn't know you'd be here, yeah, Vern. It's like, like you are every day. Didn't notice you there in the place that you live. I wasn't planning to show you this book that I'm about to show you. <laughs> Let me tell you the story about how I found this book and then decided that I was going to show you this book that I'm about to show you. 
and then and then he shows him the book that he's about to show him. And then the way that Vern reacts is just to allow the window to fall. You know, we always say that Vern slams the window. He doesn't really. The window just falls. Do we say that Vern slams the window? We yeah, do. I guess so. Yeah, that's not entirely accurate. I think Vern appreciates that the window yeah. is slamming, and he sort of puts a punctuative button on it by closing the, yeah, the window yeah. shades. But no, he is not actively doing the slamming. We, you are correct. We always attribute it to him. Sorry, Vern. But Hashtag even, sorry, Vern. Even Ernest attributes it to Vern because this time when the window falls, it's stopped by an Acme window stop. That's true. Because he's a cartoon. <laughs> yep. He goes to like the Wiley e. Coyote <laughs> he goes to uh, the catalog same center. Store as Wiley e. Coyote. They're both super geniuses. <laughs> and Ernest is like, oh, I have an Acme window stop. Heh heh heh. Like, gotcha, Vern. Maybe, he says, do I have stupid written all over my face? Maybe he thinks that Vern purposefully keeps his, his window windows oiled. like oiled. Yeah. <laughs> That maybe that's a fair bet. I'd buy that. Of course, he removes the Acme window stop. The window mashes his fingers. It's not the most satisfying window mash, I have to say. Nor is it as terrifying as the one from Hey Vern, It's Ernest, where he legit goes. Oh. Ah! I love the one where he screams. I yeah. like to think that it actually hurt Varney. Like there was a gag that they I did, like or, to uh, think that was that. A, a flub that they just captured. I think sometimes he was gracious enough to remove the thing that protected his fingers if it made it look better. I mean, that's a fact. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> God Watch bless him. him. Yeah. So anyway, the next time we see Ernest, he's approaching Vern on his roof. Well, Vern's trying to fix his TV antenna. And he's like, hey, Vern, stop working on that old antenna. I want to show you my family album. First, he's, so he's, fl- he's flipping through his family album. And one of his family members is just a potato. <laughs> yes. Dingus Worrell. He says that Dingus Worrell came over during the potato famine and then went on to become a yam magnet. Does he mean like yams like a female potato? No, I think magnet like M-A-G-N-A-T-E. Like he was like some sort of like yam tycoon. Oh, man. I thought he was like attracting all these female yams. Uh, it could also be that. I would believe either <laughs> okay. one of the, It could be both. So then he tells the story about Corporal Davy Worrell, the first ancestor right. that we meet. I wrote here, relation unknown, because he doesn't actually say how he's related to Davy Worrell. Mm. But Davy Worrell is basically like a Davy Crockett character. Not a stretch. Yeah. He's wearing a coonskin cap. Yep. He's also wearing Converse sneakers. I did appreciate that. He's got reason. the Chuck Taylors. <laughs> All right. For some reason or for no reason? For no reason. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Well, then that was implied. Yeah. And this is just a basically your typical... Sort of frontiersmen, cowboys versus Indians yeah. sort of Western nonsense. I feel like that as like a story construct is something that you don't really get anymore. Well, no. I mean, I think it was big in the 60s. That's what I'm trying to say, yeah. Things like um, Gunsmoke. I mean, John Wayne movies. Yeah, other things that I could name having only like the vaguest idea of what they are. I feel like this sketch was the hardest for me to connect to because I just didn't grow up in that era, didn't grow up with the culture, have no real frame of reference for cowboys versus Indian stuff. So all I do is like kind of watch and go, well, that's kind of rude to Native Americans. I have to say, I was impressed (laughs) that they referred to them as Native Americans more at once. one point. Well, I should probably just make a disclaimer. The views expressed in Hey Vern, It's My Family album do not necessarily reflect the views of Ernest Goes to Podcast. Correct. There <laughs> but, is some hugely inappropriate stuff happening. I mean, it's, you know, it's 1984. It is. These guys come from the world of Davy Crockett and, sure. like, played cowboys versus Indians when they were kids and, like, right. it's just stuff that we we have no... To, it's it's a different era. Yeah, it, totally. It's a different area. It's a different place. Yep. We're here. In the future. We're, we are from say, the we're, future. We're, we have <laughs> microphones here that are on a table with like computers. Computers? <laughs> 
there are computers here. That's a leap. It's a, you know, a product of its time. Correct. Now it's like, oh my God. That being said, this is a pretty good showcase of just the voices and acting that Jim Varney can do against Jim Varney. This is kind of amazing. It felt a lot to me like the bits from like Ernest Scared Stupid, where he's like playing characters against himself playing other characters. This is where I was going to say that this establishes for Ernest a family history of multiple personality disorder. Oh, certainly. So what happens is that... Davy Worrell, Corporal Davy Worrell, is running on his lonesome away from what they, Chuck what they say are Native Americans. He's running away and he runs into a fort that is completely deserted. Right. It's cute because he, he thinks they're all hiding. Like, for some reason, like, it's a surprise party. He goes in, he goes, oh, come on out. Like, no, Davy. Yeah. There, no, there's no surprise party at the fort. So he closes the door. The Indians arrive. And basically, Corporal Davy Worrell's strategy is just to pretend that he's a whole bunch of people. Yes. To scare away the natives who are called Beigefoots, which I guess is a reference to uh, Blackfoot. It's the Siksika tribe. I think that's the actual name. But they were also called the Blackfoot tribe because they wore black moccasins, I think. Gotcha. So I guess this tribe wears beige moccasins. <laughs> that, that is an inference you could make, yep. And the chief goes up to the door, and what we see of the natives are just like a little hole in the like doorway. An, an eyeball, That yeah. Davy's looking through. And it's just a Jim Varney eyeball because he's also playing all the Indians. Correct. There's no one else in this sketch. Right. It is only Jim Varney, but there are about 15 characters. Well, we should say that when, when the Native American tribe shows up, yeah. The doorbell rings at yeah, this point. Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> because, sure. And the chief identifies himself as Chief Running Vern. Yes, th- there is a recurring now, thing where there's like, not only are there Ernest's family history, but yeah. there's also like great Verns of history. There's, yeah, there's references like, to Verns. Their, their family histories have been intertwined yeah. throughout the ages, or at least since the 1800s. So we can basically say now that Vern has Native American ancestry. I guess you could say that, yeah. And sort of that the enmity between the families goes back a long way. Or, or I could posit this, is Ernest pulling all of his family history out of thin air? <laughs> And because he no. perceives Vern as his best friend, he's like, oh, well, of course, like all of the, the great Ernest relatives of history had to have had like a, a Vern analog, right? Because well, he wouldn't paint him as an antagonist. He did just almost like uh, no. close a window on I don't him. think so. I think when Ernest says crazy things, I don't think he's making any of it up. I think he's been told it by his insane family. That's possible. Because Ernest is so genuine. Well, I, I never think he's lying. That's the thing. I think he's deluded. Yeah, but it seems like something he read and either got confused or misheard. Or, or like embellished. He's, in like it's, a... it's like he's misremembering. Right. Or, I mean, from this special, we can see that his family is bazonkers. So I would say <laughs> yes, that true. they told him this stuff. Uh, I, okay, I'll buy I that. I would also completely buy that all this is true. Sure. Chuck Taylor's notwithstanding. I'm definitely taking it as this is Vern's ancestor. Okay, I'll buy it. Which is also, by the way, played by Jim Varney. Adding, that feeds into your, uh, yeah, your my theory Jim Varney with that, glasses and a sweater vest. That Vern is just, if we saw him, would just be... Jim Varney and glasses and a sweater vest. I wish that would happen. In my mind, it did. Yeah. <laughs> so so Corporal Davy Worrell. King of the Wild Frontier. Yeah. The natives ask him to open the door and let them in. They say that they're going to give him a free gift. This is like a big <laughs> joke in the thing that they keep telling him they're going to give him a free gift if he comes in. These two droids. And there's a lot of, we don't want no free gift. Right. So Davy pretends to be a bunch of people. I've written them all down, okay? So he pretends to be A, himself. And then B, Major John Wayne Guy. <laughs> scared guy. I'm scared. 
Captain Weird Talking Guy that isn't John Wayne. Well, it is. You settle down in there. It God darn wannabe. Now, is that the guy that we could? Is that the guy that I was trying to like recognize what actor or character from Western television or movie history yeah, that voice was? There's this guy who sounds like. He kind of sounds like this. That good Jim Varney kind of doing like a, a marble mouth and he talks like yeah, this. Yeah, got a certain kind of swagger <laughs> that I can't quite put my finger on. Yeah, Jim Varney is doing a voice that I'm out of place, but I bet it's a reference to something. If any of you folks at home know what this voice is all about, maybe you could uh, fill us in over here. We'd be mighty appreciative. Yeah, give us a ring of what, what yeah, character this is. There's that guy. Then there's a Mexican guy. Sure. There's an Irish guy who is called O'Reilly. Oh, really? <laughs> there's uh old guy. Uh, Which is kind of pops. Basically pop. Yeah. There's British guy. Sure. Uh, Cookie, the cook. Uh, yep. Gruff guy. Which one was gruff guy? He's the, like, Oh, that dude who's, like, head sticks out of the, the yeah, yeah. fort window? Gotcha. Yeah, there's this guy that's, like, uh, he's really, like, a scummy guy. Yeah. But he's not the worst guy. And the worst guy is Luke, who we never see, but we just hear him go, like, from, yeah. from inside the, the shack that's inside the fort. The explosives holding The shack. ammo. Yeah. yeah, the ammo shack. Right. So Davy basically pretends that he's this whole company of people that all come from different <laughs> countries. I mean, they wouldn't buy it otherwise. It's a really diverse fort. Oh, yeah. And that's how he's going to try to scare off the mage fits is like we got a whole army in here and by the way it works it does it, it works does. really well he's really good at it <laughs> he is you might even say that Ernest's ancestor was a good actor i would say that it's genetic it's man. yeah it's hereditary but Passed is there also the a di- see here's the thing davy also as these different characters has conversations with himself that aren't strictly necessary to scare the indians away no they're just sort of uh there's sometimes incidental he's just, yeah <laughs> sometimes he's just scared yeah <laughs> i'm scared we're all gonna get scalped and killed and die in one big heap and, and not get no free gifts well, that ain't nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, I guess it convinces them that there's like a real dynamics going on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, he he sells the crap out of the fact that <laughs> there's a does. whole group of. But I, what I'm saying is, I think he's also getting caught up in the charade. Oh yeah, he's forgetting. He, he's letting the characters embody him. Oh yeah, and then, and then it just whatever happens happens. I wrote down here Jim Barney and the transformative power of hats. Yeah. <laughs> because this is... I'd read that book. All the characters, I should say, they're denoted by the different hats that they wear. So every time Davy is going to be a different person, he switches hats. Yeah, and there's all these, like, tree stumps or something that have, like, various hats on him. So he'll, like, walk He's, like, running them. around and yeah. just picking up hats and putting them on. He's like, oh, no, I'm, now I'm this guy. And then, like, he's like, <laughs> now I'm this guy. And now I'm this guy. And, yeah. like, I feel like Jim Varney, obviously he's an actor and he doesn't need this, but I feel like he is at his most into a character when that character has a hat. I get it. That he can feel like he is now a different person. Sure. Like he puts on a hat and he gets powered up like boop, 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 boop. Yeah. And he becomes... Well, it's, like, it's like Mario. Yeah, he becomes a different person when he puts on a hat. It's Super Ernest Brothers. Ernest. Yeah. Ernest is a hat. You could consider Astra's bow tie a hat. Or even just or the like lack the, of hat the massive hat. amount of what I assume Hair is some gel. sort of yeah, gel or yeah. other product. I mean, Auntie Nelda's got a hat. I think I was got a whole lot of stuff. Dr. Otto has a hat. <laughs> he has a head hand. It's a human hand, but it is <laughs> it is headwear. He derives power from hats. It's sure, like, I buy it. It really seems to help him. Well, I was also impressed in the beginning. There's a bit where he, the different hats are different characters, but for some of the characters, it's just like how the one kind of like Civil War-esque looking hat is kind of cocked. Mm-hmm. So if it's like cocked to the left, it's like 
The Mexican guy, guy is like, like kind of cocked backwards. Yeah. If it's forwards, it's the Irish guy. Yeah. So that was, I, and then I was like impressed that he was like keeping those characters straight. I feel like they're so clear in his head. Oh, sure. No, like, I buy it. Like he, this again felt to me like a, just put the camera down and walk away. We so don't we're going to take lunch, Jim. Uh, just like turn okay, the camera off. Okay, you guys off. go on. Yeah, you guys go out and get some good nutrition. Should I just leave the microphone <laughs> on and come back? Or? Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, he manages to scare away the Basefoot Nation. I mean, there's a lot of um, things in the sketch that we didn't get. Yes. I mean, we should say that there's actually like a censored version of Haver and It's My Family album and an uncensored version. Correct. They're both available on DVD. The uncensored one is on that Ernest box set. I think it's called The Best of Ernest. But honestly, the transfer quality is really not great. It looks like a VHS master. Yeah. Or something. Like it doesn't look like a broadcast quality. Yeah. The quality on the censored one is, is really good. Yeah. Actually, it looks good. And all they did was like they cut <laughs> They cut things correctly. Jeez, they cut a flag that Davy raises up on a pole. It's a cartoon. It's silhouette. essentially the Ghostbusters logo. Replace a ghost with a Native American. Jeez. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I apologize on behalf of everyone. Yeah. Unlike some things where you'll hear about DVDs where things get cut for, oh, we couldn't get the music rights. No, like, no, no. I feel like you can lose that stuff and it arguably becomes a stronger piece. Oh, yeah. It's just a really, like, I'm assuming at the time, it's a silly joke. Correct. Clearly, nothing in this special is malicious. I would agree with that. But that doesn't mean that it's okay. Correct. They cut that, and then they cut um, this one line that actually really confused us. So, like, is this the woman? Yeah. Yeah. So at some point, Jim Barney is plays a woman. We know he's a woman because he's got like a shawl. Yeah, on. and his like kind of like bangs or something. <laughs> and he says, "What about the women and children?" And the guy who we don't know who he is says, "You mean the women or the children?" And we were like, huh? huh? <laughs> She's asking about, like, what if the Indians yeah, are what are the gonna... women and children? Or, like, yeah, what are you going to do to protect us, essentially? Yeah, basically. And then he says, you mean women or children? And we were like, we thought maybe he was. it was a joke about, like, they would either put out the women or the children. Like, as, like, a sacrifice? A sa <laughs> yeah, like, you, you'll be the bait to let us get yeah, away which one or should something? We, should we push out the women or the children? Like, yeah. that's that could be it. I guess, yeah. It's... <laughs> I don't know. I didn't understand that one. But no. um, the way that Davey scares them away is quite ingenious. Basically, what he does is build up this other character who we don't ever see Jim Barney play, but we hear him. There's Luke. A, he basically says that there is a character that's being held in chains inside the ammo shack that is the most dangerous guy there. They imply that he's kind of like Sloth from the Goonies. That's the vision that I was getting. <laughs> I don't know. He's named Luke. Yeah. And basically, the, the really scummy guy who's in the ammo shack with Luke, he says that being around all the ammo has him riled up. Yeah. And then we establish that Captain Talks Weird thinks that that guy is the scum of the earth. Love one you know what? I think you're the human scum of the earth. And I mean that in the nicest part of the way. So talking weird guy says to scummy guy, I think you're scummy. Yeah. And then scummy guy says, well, Luke does stuff that makes my stomach turn. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how he's kind of implying that Luke is like the, the worst. worst. Yeah. And you hear like kind of Luke the whole time. Like, oh. Yeah. And like <laughs> the, the loose badgers in the yeah. neighborhood or it's whatever. It's that Barney sound that's hilarious. <laughs> it's like, oh. Yeah. Like that. So he keeps building up Luke. And at some point, like, it cuts to, like, the Indians watching through the peephole. Right. They hear about Luke and the eye goes wide. 
the Jim Varney eye goes wide. And all, you know what I love is that he plays a couple of Indians by like the eye that's looking through the little knot hole just switches. Yeah. And it's literally just Jim Varney moving over a little bit with different face paint on yeah. one half of I his face, which is great. It's just very efficient. Yep. And I admire its efficiency. Zero dollars. He's even playing a female Indian that has like mascara on. And I oh, don't even the eye, know. Like, bat or yeah, something? she bats her eyes. Yeah. And I don't know why they brought women to the fort attack. I mean, women can fight too. Sure. If yeah. there's one thing this sketch is, it's progressive. <laughs> That's right. Everybody's working together, all these nations in That's one true. fort. But yeah, watching Giovanni switch between the characters is great. At one point, he runs into the shack as Davy, and he's doing that scared tiptoe run that he does. Yep. And then he walks out as John Wayne, and it just made me laugh. <laughs> He tiptoe runs in and then he struts out as a completely different person and it's hilarious. Yeah. Eventually what happens is they say that Luke has escaped. Oh, yeah. The scummy guy comes out of the fort and announces, Luke's escaped. Did he say I'm Luke loose? He chewed through the wall. (laughs) (laughs) He chewed through the wall. Made me laugh so hard. And then all the interns are like, Luke escaped. And they're like, we're, we're leaving now. Yeah. No free gift today. Then they said they'll leave a catalog. Yeah, I got the feeling that they were sort of characterizing the Native American tribe like half as attacking and half as like Avon. Avon. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Like it's almost like more annoying pitchmen of history. That's that. Indians run away. Corporal Davy Worrell awards himself a Medal of Honor. <laughs> like a little smiley face button or something? It's a smi- yeah, it's a smiley face button. That's an appropriate Worrell badge. That's true. He's like, thanks, Major. Follow me. And then, uh, as Ernest tells us, he goes on to become both Lewis and Clark. That's, you laughed so hard at I that. I did, because that's, that's <laughs> both a hilarious joke and ties into the multiple personality yeah, thing, so it's yeah. layered. I appreciated it. <laughs> a great bunch of guys, yeah. which is a thing that comes back later. That's true. Yeah, so that's Davy Worrell, relation unknown. Who's next? After that, Ernest tells us about Ace Worrell, the famous fighter pilot, also relation unknown. I guess we can assume he's some kind of great uncle. Yeah. So this is Ace Worrell, who is kind Kind of a Sergeant Glory-ish vaguely, character. Yeah. Very vaguely. There, there's like a little bit of that, that same humor of like, oh, everyone in the army stand up really straight really quick. Well, it's like military humor, like right. super serious. But this guy is not in no way a stoic as Correct. he's off his rocker. No, this guy is more just like he's seen some action. He's seen some, yeah, some stuff he's that seen uh, some messed, stuff. Up, messed him up. Sergeant Glory, I feel like, is for all his talk, is mainly a desk man. And more of like a drill sergeant sort yeah, of. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, Ace is a fighter pilot. He's actually seen some stuff. He's right. actually been in the thing. Yeah. Yeah, this one starts off with like a bunch of uh, pilots just like milling around. Which I was delighted by because there's some familiar faces in the audience. Yeah. There's uh, Baby Arntzen. Baby Bruce Arntzen. <laughs> I mean, not Baby, but they are. They're baby faced. No, they're fresh faced so- and doe eyed. So- there are no lines on those faces. Yep. And Baby Mac. Yeah, Mac was there and I was delighted. <laughs> not a George in sight, but I'll take it. Baby Mac Bennett. Yeah. Who's credited as a grip. I saw that this. too, yeah. Now I was like, oh, okay. Grip Mac Bennett. Uh, he's really, he's got a really appealing face. He's good in this. He does. He's got, he's very round features. Like, yeah. I feel like I can't. Look at him and not smile. Yeah, yeah. I mean, round features are very appealing. Yeah. We know this he's as got, animators. He's got good, like, under eye. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Anyway, enough of my, my blatant crushing on Mac Bennett. <laughs> I love Mac. David, by the way, now has a stuffed iguana. <laughs> I have George sitting next to me on this table. We'll post a photo. And it's nice to see Bruce Arnson here, too. Actually, since he's also known for doing the music right. in earnest things, it makes me wonder if he did the music for the special. I actually don't know who did the music for the special because their music person isn't credited. But the music cues are really good. They are. They're very, like, they're very funny and like kind of weird. They're really on point. Like the timing yeah. of the music. Music cues is really sharp. Mm-hmm. Well edited. And this whole special is well edited. It's really, especially this particular sketch, there's oh, yeah. some really creative and funny editing. This might be my favorite of the sketches. It, well, it's, this is my second favorite. Uh, oh, man. I might have a three-way tie. <laughs> That's <laughs> this fine. This is one of the you're, three. You're allowed to have different favorites than me. Yes, I love this sketch. Okay, so basically, they're fighter pilots. They're milling around. They're bored. They don't actually have an assignment. And then their uh, captain or whoever. The guy in charge of... Yeah. He says that a famous fighter pilot has flown in and is going to take them on an important mission. And then he turns the floor over to Ace Worrell, yep. who makes me laugh by just staring at them for a couple of seconds before he starts talking. <laughs> yeah, he, he sort of he just like glares a at pause. them. Yeah. And then he starts in. And it's the most dramatic. I mean, it's just... It, it's what can I say this? It's just Jim Varney. That's you could say like, that about every sketch in this. I thing, know, yeah. but like he's but just is. he's just going nuts. Like yep. he he's I mean it's like and he's off. Yep. They just open the gate and Jim Varney ran out and that's the sketch. It's like a Jim Varney rodeo. <laughs> oh god. Yes, there's a chalkboard on the wall. He very dramatically slides the chalkboard over. And there's like a chart underneath. Yeah. It's almost like a weird, like, what do these things have in common poster? It's like a, a gorilla. <laughs> it's it's labeled Know Your Enemy. That's what yes. it says on the top. But it's a gorilla, the Washington Monument, uh-huh. the state of Florida, yeah. the Eiffel Tower, and a bag of chips. Yeah. <laughs> All giant things. <laughs> yes, all giant things. And essentially what we come to find is that the important mission that Ace Warrell is bringing them on <laughs> is the planes that attack King Kong in New York City. <laughs> That's right. Which is pretty great. Which 100% did not happen. Well, see, that again leads into two things I was saying, which... A, this is all completely made up by Ernest. No, and but not... And B, he's an actor and he loves movies. No, I don't think this was made up by Ernest at all. If anything, I would say Pop told Ernest this happened. And he was like... Yes, hey, let, me, let me show you the, the documentary uh, that our... Uh, and this is Ace Worlds in. Who fought King Kong in <laughs> the Battle of Kong. Like, that's what happened. Did you say the Battle of Kong? Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Pop told him this happened. Freaking poor Ernest. Didn't stand a chance. Yeah. And Something Ace happened. Says, Ace says a big monkey is on top of the Empire State Building. The one in New York City, he clarifies. Just to, just to make sure okay. you know which one. And they've got to shoot him off. We should say that Ace has another prop that is a... Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, the visual aid. Yes. It's a cardboard um, <laughs> mock-up of the Empire State Building <laughs> with a sock monkey plush toy at the, the top of it. The best part is that it's there the whole time. Yes. There's a sheet thrown over it, and the sheet is labeled visual aid. <laughs> I didn't notice is it, that. Yes. It says visual aid on the sheet. That's amazing. And then he pulls it off. He whips it off the sheet to reveal this, ju- this like a fiber old made this this cardboard cut out relative of earnest an empire state building a sock monkey tied to the top and little cutouts of people in random windows that are drawn on the building who i assume if i had to do a close-up would be like humphrey bogart marilyn monroe (laughs) charlie chaplin i don't know 
I think I feel like they're cut out from magazines. That's also possible. Um, I thought maybe one looked like a lady in the shower. I don't know. Could one have maybe just been like Faye Ray? It's possible. I have no idea, man. Okay. You <laughs> <laughs> said that so like, I have no idea, man. I was like, if any of our listeners can identify every one of the photos on the Empire State Building you'll win, mock-up. You'll win the Ernest Goes to Podcast no prize. <laughs> you'll win a free gift. <laughs> So it's so hard to describe this because it's it's just amazing. Yeah, I, that's what I mean. Like I feel like trying to describe this is like trying to describe a Jim Barney stand up routine. Yeah, like I can't really. Yeah, I mean he you kind of watch him do it. Yeah, but I'll say that uh, he goes off on a couple of crazy rants. He's really angry about King Kong being on the building. Right. He doesn't. He says he doesn't like immigrants because he says there's a bunch of aliens in New York City taking jobs and talking funny. Which excuse us. Yeah. That's... As New York. Shut up, Ace. Yes. But he's he's super pissed about this monkey. And he says, so if any of you believe in evolution and think that you're related to this monster, and then it cuts to... Yes. This is nuts. And then it cuts back to all the fighter pilots who are listening to him. And one guy... Is just a sock monkey person. He's got the head of a sock he has monkey. The head of a sock it's monkey. terrifying. All the pilots slowly turn to look at this poor person, and it's underscored by this music cue, like dun 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 dun. dun. It's edited so well. <laughs> My favorite thing is that uh, as Ace is describing the monkey having kidnapped the woman. He says that the monkey's got a girl. Yeah. The problem that he describes with the monkey is not that it's like a giant animal that's going to harm this woman. It's that the monkey is not a good enough man for her or worthy to like be a satisfying boyfriend or husband in the eyes of her parents yeah, or well, whoever. Yeah, the pilot's asking yeah. to clarify when he says that the ape's got a girl. They're like, got do a you girl? mean a girl? At home? Yeah. Or does he yeah, captured girl? And it's a girl at home. Yeah. <laughs> he says her parents don't like him. He doesn't have a job. It's a pretty he's, good guess. He's never been in the service is also an issue. Sure. <laughs> My favorite part is that as Ace is describing the attack that they're going to mount on poor Kid Kong, because he's, he's saying that they're going to shoot the monkey. Right. Like with guns. And then Mac Bennett raises his hands like, well, what about the girl? And this is like the best line in the whole thing. <laughs> he grabs like the- the salesman. I think the sock monkey's holding like a female figurine. Mm. And he grabs the figurine that represents the girl. He's like, The girl? Don't worry about the girl. Any one of us can whip the girl. And <laughs> it's the best line in the entire thing. I like it. This Ace Warhol clearly has no clue what he's talking about. He's, he's ruthless. In a misguided way. He's insane. Yeah. If I was going to say off his rocker about anyone, I'll say it about Ace Warhol. Sure. I love he's wearing the like the pilot, the little... He's got the aviator goggles. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing... A- he's got the Rocky the Flying Squirrel hat. <laughs> yeah. And Once again, got- Jim Varney has a hat <laughs> to the- make him a different character. <laughs> and the puffy pants. Yeah. I'm sure somebody knows what those are actually called. I'm going to say puffy pants. They're puffy pants. And a bomber jacket. Yep. Which is super cool. I mean, he looks he looks cool. Yeah. But he's insane. Correct. So he the attack that he describes is that he says, first we're gonna like bomb him with a banana bomber that he's has holding like a banana that, that has it's a toy biplane, but the main part of it is made out of a banana. Correct. And Ace dramatically enacts the scene where the plane shoots at the sock monkey, who then whacks it and knocks the plane to the ground. I mean Ace is doing this, but he reacts to it as if it's a tragedy that's happened. Aaron is describing this very accurately. <laughs> But it does not begin to capture the insanity of the events unfolding on the television I screen. Can't. It's just like it's impossible. Just wind them up, turn the camera on, and let's, <laughs> just watch let's this. Go. Just I watch just imagine this. like them just like standing, with arms folded, like back. Like, wow, can you believe this? 
we'll do another take, but I think we got it. They had four hours of this, and they cut it oh, down. Yeah. To- <laughs> you know, we don't have to describe what I cannot in- describe this. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, gosh. What's, what else? What do we have to say? Ace makes a little mock simulation of what's going to happen when they shoot the monkey. The pilot in the toy plane that he's holding, that he's decided is called Lefty, perishes in the sock name. monkey attack. Ace loses it. After this, he's, he loses it. Before this, Super Saiyan. <laughs> you know, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. He's so incensed by the sock monkey <laughs> killing his toy plane. He gets right in the sock monkey's face. This made me laugh, too. Because oh, it's just yeah. Jim in the sock monkey's face as yep. if it's a person. He's like, you dirty ape. And then he starts saying, where's my machine gun? Where's my little machine gun? The idea of somebody misplacing their machine gun is actually hilarious to me. No one has ever said, (laughs) where's my machine gun? No one's ever said that. But he starts frantically running around the room like, where's my machine gun? And he finds it underneath the chalkboard. He picks it up. And it's hilarious because it actually is literally a little machine gun. It's it's a a toy. toy. (laughs) He shoots. He folds up the sock monkey with imaginary hot lead. And as all the pilots stare at him, he enacts the death of the sock monkey <laughs> by just screaming. And then it cuts back and he goes, ah! it cuts multiple times. Yeah. He starts to scream and then it cuts and it's him screaming again but from a closer angle. I feel like it was supposed to imply the, the height of the building and the monkey falling from it. <laughs> I think it kind of represents how long this experience feels to the people watching. <laughs> That's also possible. <laughs> They're like, what? They're Who so uncomfortable. This? Yeah. Bruce Arnson turns to Monkey Face Guy. He's like, can you believe this? Monkey Face Guy has left. I mean, he's out. And as they all watch him, Ace World just stomps on Monkey over and over and over, screaming, bad monkey. And then he's done. He's like, any questions? Yep. You know, I feel, Dave, like we had a similar experience in film school. Where an actor was going going bazonkers. Remember this? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Without naming names. Without naming names. Yes, I do remember this. An actor of note came to one of our... It was a television a, production class. Yeah, and, and that particular lesson was about uh, working with actors. And, this is true. And like, letting them explore ideas. And this actor... This felt, actor and his assistant slash daughter slash girlfriend? I wouldn't... You know, I don't think we can make assumptions I, there. No, I, it, it I was, legit could not read that I, relationship. I think it was, <laughs> I think it was assistant slash girlfriend. I'll t- okay. Uh, yeah, they... They both uh, felt the best way to explore their characters would be through interpretive dance and quite energetic interpretive dance. And it was happening in front of us, like inches from our faces. And I just remember staring at it like... What is this madness unfolding before my eyes? What's happening in front of me, A, and B, don't laugh. Yes. (laughs) And I feel like that's how the pilots in that room felt. Sure. Watching Ace enact... The drama. That is a, a fair analogy. <laughs> I I know that feeling. Ah, It like felt like that. Like it's just the, the insanity is unfolding before you, and you're just waiting it out. Yeah. Wait till he's done. Talk about it later. And we did. Uh, and that's Ace Worrell. Yep. The famous fighter pilot. It cuts back to Ernest, and he says, "Like, yeah, there's been a lot of famous worlds." And then he says, "If you've got it, flaunt it." I don't quite know what he means. 
Uh, if you've got what? A, a famous family? Or just talent or skill in general. That's what that idiom means. Right. I don't but know, I don't know I don't what know, he's I don't referring know what, to. Yeah, I don't know what the it in that sentence is. <laughs> right, okay. I assume some sort of like family of note. Yeah. Well, that's what he's doing. He's question, got an interesting family. The question could it. be posed, Ernest, why are you up on my ladder with a <laughs> photo album of your family members who, as your elderly neighbor, I am A, not interested in, and B, not convinced exist? And the answer to that question then is... If you've got it, flaunt it. I'm going to say in this universe, Vern isn't elderly. Oh, interesting. And I'll tell you why later. Okay. Oh, by the way, at this point, Vern decides he's had enough, and he kicks away the ladder that Ernest is on. Right. And of course, Ernest has uh, prepared for this eventuality. <laughs> Gigantic grappling hook. It's a bigger grappling hook it's than normal, I huge. think, right? It's, it looks like it's made of like paper mache yeah. or something. <laughs> it's been painted. Yeah. Maybe they, maybe they uh, didn't have so like good. a grappling hook budget at that point it's yet, and then so... later they actually got like a legit one. Yeah, That's yeah, why yeah. it's smaller and it's does not look like a pinata. Uh, Ernest must have been a Boy Scout because he's come prepared. Oh, I believe that. As a former Boy Scout myself, there were people that were less capable than Ernest. I will say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. They don't got the heart, man. That's true. The heart. Okay, after that is another one of my top three sketches. We then Erin's meet... top six sketches from the Ernest Hey Vern, It's no, My Family three. album. Sorry, we go meet ahead. Lloyd Worrell. Yes. Who we... You love Lloyd. I do. You know, they introduce him as, or they, Ernest introduces him as the, the meanest man in the world or something yes. like that. It actually says meanest man in the world on, on Lloyd's mailbox. mailbox. Yes. The way that Ernest introduces him is he's looking through the family album and he turns the page and then he like gasps and rears back when he sees Lloyd's photo. He goes, oh, and then he says to Vern that every family has its dark side and that dark side of the Worrell family is Lloyd Worrell. That is the setup he gives. Yes. But then like the sketch is kind of just sad. It doesn't seem that mean. David, the sketch is hilarious. Like you're saying, you say it's sad. It makes me it's, sad. It's so sad. It's funny. Maybe I I'm didn't really, get there. I don't know why this is, but I do enjoy like sad humor. <laughs> So okay. it's like anti-humor almost. It's so sad that it's funny. And this completely falls into the so sad it's funny thing. I guess I was just like, he didn't even seem that mean. What do you mean, though? Like nothing. Like, oh, no. Meanest man in the world? Like, he's, sor- he's psychologically torturing his child. But his child is like psychologically torturing him also. But that's not an excuse. I guess. <laughs> and he doesn't know that. But like, I, you know, meanest man in the world, you expect like, oh, he's going to go out and like, you know, be rude to his neighbors or yeah, like yeah, yeah. attack people or. Yeah. I don't know, he just seemed like kind of like, a, like he was like an old grump. But the sketch starts with him kicking a dog and saying that it's not good at anything. That's true. That is true. <laughs> and then he talks about beating on his kid. That's also true. <laughs> and maybe I was just reading more from. We both know what Lloyd sounds like. <laughs> right. He's got kind of an undecipherable. Uh, uh, the cat always understand what he said. So I think I was following his performance more uh, physically and contextually in the scene more than like paying attention to what he was like saying. Uh, sure. And like w- what's going on in the scene is just like they have no food and like. <laughs> it's just really. <laughs> It's God. Just like, yeah, aw. but no, it's not that they have no food. It's that they pretend, they pretend to eat. To eat. Yeah. It's so sad that it's, it's, it's hilarious. Really it's absurd. It is absurd. Oh, man. So 
First of all, I should say, Lloyd Worrell, for sure, is a Jim Barney stand-up routine. Right. It actually started out as Lloyd Rowe. Like, there's actually a product called Lloyd Rowe Farms Molasses. Mm-hmm. And Lloyd Rowe was, I guess, you know, sometimes you see a name and you just, it kind of starts this whole little joke about who that person is. Oh, sure. We've I, done the same thing. Yeah, I, I had an inside joke with my friend Ben about the Lumberjack special at diners. <laughs> like, who was that named after? And then we yeah. just created this character named Jack Lumberman. <laughs> And that was his namesake. <laughs> yeah. So I get it. So it's the same sort of thing. So Lloyd Rowe, Jim Barney, and a friend kind of had spun off this thing where he was the meanest man in the world. He had this son that was 265 pounds, but like... Eight years eight old. Eight years old. Yep. It's a whole stand-up routine. Gotcha. And now Lloyd is a Worrell. Yeah. He's become a Worrell. It's neat to see him be inducted into the Worrell family album. Mm. But he is so unlike a Worrell that they have to specify that he is a different kind of Worrell. The he sketch mean. starts yes. with him kicking his kid's dog. Correct. And poor Mistake. By the way, he named his child Mistake. That's, that's true. pretty mean, Dave. No, that's true. That's pretty mean. You're making a good case. <laughs> yeah, that poor kid. So Mistake. Poor behemoth. Mistake is the most hilarious name for a child ever. <laughs> Lloyd Worrell, his son Mistake, and his wife Ruth. Uh, they live in a dilapidated house. There's like a cross stitch on the wall that says, He who hesitates starves. starves. Yeah. They are so, so impoverished. Oh, yeah. That, yes, they pretend to eat. So Lloyd is in his house singing that song that we talked about. Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages. Let me hide myself in me. Lloyd's wife is cooking, but she's not actually cooking anything. Yet no. she is slaving in the kitchen. Yes, but I'm not, not sure what she's doing. Not over anything. Yeah. So he sits down and he says, Ruth, what are we pretending to eat tonight? That That's the thing. I appreciate that you felt sympathetic for them. Well, but sure. like that's so absurdly sad that it made me laugh really hard. It's just like there's a thin line between tragedy and sure. comedy. And there's only so much tragedy you could take before it crosses over. That's true. He's sitting there and he's he goes, oh, it's steak. I was hoping we would pretend to eat lobster. <laughs> And then he cuts nothing yep. with a fork, and he says it's tender. It cuts with a fork. It's just like, <laughs> like I thought the sketch was amazing. I don't like to see people be really mean to other people, sure. and that being why it's sad. I like just the circumstances being sad through the fault of no one, mm-hmm. and that is funny <laughs> to me. If it reaches a certain level of absurd of tragedy. Sure. So Lloyd looks out the window, and his son Mistake... Look at him. Six foot three, two hundred and sixty-five pounds. He's only eight years old. Little Mistake is played by a ginormous man. Who is also kind of like sloth from the Goonies. And he's picking up cinder blocks and dropping them on his That's toys. That's what those were. Yeah. I was trying to figure that out. He's breaking all his toys. And Lloyd's just watching him through the window. Yeah, like, go on, Mistake. Daddy's rich. And then the Mistake is just like, Daddy's rich. <laughs> then they call in Mistake to eat nothing. He comes in and Lloyd... Oh, this is the one joke that I actually did laugh at in the sketch. I cannot believe you didn't... I yeah, so I wasn't. I wasn't that into this oh one. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah. What was the joke that you laughed at? Uh, Mistake sits down to eat with <laughs> Lloyd. He's like scarfing down the non-food. Yeah. 
and Lloyd says something like, um, somehow he's still gaining weight. Yeah. <laughs> I think an inherited moral trait is an awareness of a camera. Yeah, he does turn to camera, yeah. yes. <laughs> Davy turns the camera. Some sort of fourth wall knowledge. Yeah. Is, uh... The awareness of a viewer. Yes. Wait, I have a, I have a theory. <laughs> what if the viewer in all of these things is Auntie Nelda as the watcher? Shut up. Sworn not to interfere. <laughs> just through the ages, omnipotent and all-seeing. <laughs> if they reveal at some that point fun. that Auntie Nelda was the god of the universe that Ernest was in, I'd be like, sure. I would, I would be buy it. delighted. But Lloyd does say at some point before Mistake comes in that Lloyd has beat on him and tried to punish him in every way possible. And yes, now he that. is going to start working on him psychologically. I remember him saying the Lloyd psychological Lloyd is a bit thing. of a mumbler. So you can be forgiven. <laughs> you, <don't say. laughs> you can be forgiven for not picking up everything he says. Yeah. So mistake comes in. We know that Lloyd's going to start working on mistakes psychologically. Psychologically. And the way that Lloyd does this is as Mistake is pretending to eat steak, Lloyd just like slides the plate out from under Mistake and onto the floor, just slides it over and you hear a crash. He's like, don't eat it like that. He's just knocking the plates off the table out from in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. Like the poor kid's trying to pretend to eat and he's just knocking the plates away. How is he not the meanest man? I don't know. (laughs) Jeez. And then he puts something else on it. He goes, here, pretend to eat this lobster you're so fond of. And he goes, oh, daddy, we had lobster last night. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a gigantic jerk to his family. I don't know. It just seems very, like, understated and self-contained, I guess. Like, if you're the meanest man in the world, I feel like you have to be mean. You have to be mean to like, people outside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but we don't have a, a budget for a huge cast. No, that's cast. true. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't get Jim Varney and... to play, like, eight other townspeople <laughs> the rest of the neighborhood. So Mistake doesn't want to pretend to eat lobster, so he slides that plate out from under him and keeps yelling at him. And he goes, how about Skeddy? And that poor kid's like, yeah, daddy, Skeddy. And Mistake starts pretending to eat spaghetti. And Lloyd says, here, have some of that Parmesan cheese. You're so oh, there's fond like a of- tiny plate, yeah. He says Parmesan cheese. <laughs> <laughs> then he yells at Mistake for eating too messily and getting spaghetti all over his face, which doesn't happen because there is no there's spaghetti. No yeah. So then he knocks that plate out from under him, smacks him a bunch of times in the face, and he tells Mistake to go to bed. And this is the part where I laughed really hard out loud. They're both sitting at a table across from each other. And he tells Mistake to go to bed. And Mistake says, Daddy, why do I always have to go to bed? And he abruptly sits up. And oh, yes. as he does, the entire <laughs> table falls a, on Jim Varney. I need a gif of that. <laughs> the entire a, table. A, well, a well-timed and well-composed table flip. <laughs> it just brings him down immediately. He goes down. He does. Motley Crue style. <laughs> it's such a great shot. It's perfect. And Mistake stomps away to his room. And the table is on top of Lloyd. And Ruth, Lloyd's wife, comes over and is like, he's a good boy, Lloyd. I mean, he's only eight years old. That's true. And Lloyd is like, no, he's dangerous. And he yells at God. I don't remember that either. (laughs) That's it, Lord. Just dump it right down here on old Lloyd. I can take it. After he yells at God, he goes in to see Mistake again. He's in bed. Who's trying. A giant child. He says he's going to make sure that he's pretending to brush his teeth. Oh, yeah. That's a pretty good joke. So too. he goes in. He walks past the embroidered thing that says, he who hesitates starves. Yes. He pokes his head into the room and he says, Mistake, do you want Daddy to read you a bedtime story? And Little Big Mistake is like, yeah, Daddy's story. And he sits down. Picks up a phone book. Oh, yeah. And proceeds to make up the story. Well, he starts reading, like, names and phone numbers like it's, like, a Bible verse. Yeah, he calls it the big book. And he says he's reading from, like, second condominiums. And then he reads the phone number <laughs> the phone and number. the extension. Yep. And then he makes up the story that, just listen to it. One day there will be a boy named Mistake. 
born to Ruth and Lloyd Worrell, and he will catch mumps and measles again and catch on fire and fall off the edge of the world and mash his fingers and die before he is twelve. The best part is, like, half the time he's saying this, you're just, the shot is just focused on Mistake's reaction to what he's saying. He's listening happily, and as Lloyd says these things, he gets more and more upset, and then he just turns over in bed, like, away from Lloyd (laughs) to try to stop hearing it, and Lloyd stands up over him, and we just get the creepiest shot ever of Jim Barney with his blackened-out tooth that Lloyd has, and Lloyd is, like, filthy. He's got dirt smudged all over him. He bats his eyelashes like he's a cartoon character, and he just goes, Nighty night, mistake. <laughs> it's one of the most beautifully disturbing scenes I've ever seen. But this is kind of, it has kind of a happy ending. Be- sure. Because, <laughs> well, and that you feel bad for mistake. And then mistake says, Daddy, will you rock me to sleep? And Lloyd goes, oh, All right. And then Mistake picks up this huge pop rock and just throws it on top of Jim Varney. It made me laugh because it completely obscures Jim Varney. Like the rock just completely obscures him. And then all you see is the rock just falling and you know he's under it. Is that the rock of ages? No. (laughs) But then you hear Mistake say, I'm working on his mind. And it's like, oh, all right, Mistake. Do it, man. Like, all right. He's fighting back. One smart eight-year-old. Not bad. To me, that's a perfect sketch. That's cool. It's good. So after that, we're back with Ernest. Vern's fixing the TV. Vern's fixing his television set. Ernest tells him that he'll never fix it. Thanks, Ernest. (laughs) Ernest says something like, I've got a real talent for electricity, which is kind of true. That is true. He's talented at being electrocuted. I was going to say, yeah, he can absorb electricity really well. (laughs) Really well. And then he says that the most talented person in his family is Billy Boogie Worrell, his cousin. We get a relation. I have to say, he's correct about that. Is he? (laughs) Have you seen those moves, man? (laughs) All right. Yes. Ernest introduces his cousin, Billy Boogie Worrell, by saying that he is and this is my quote at the head of a gigantic entertainment complex translation he works at he a carnival. is a carny yeah he runs the scrambler which is a ride at a carnival this might be my second favorite sketch if only for jim varney's performance he's it's great it's just in this. six minutes of jim varney dancing yeah that's what the sketch is like anytime it cuts away to like one of like the ancillary characters like having stuff happen to them on this like carnival ride i'm just like just cut back to jim varney i just want to see him <laughs> dancing with those goofy sunglasses God. and the hat okay billy boogie Worrell's job is to run the ride that uh, the sign says is the fastest ride at the carnival. It does say that. It's called the Scrambler and his job is to entice people to ride it. I mean, just look at him. And then run the ride. Well, let's describe what he's wearing, first of all. Well, so he's got a shirt that says Inagata Devita, the long version. It's a sleeveless shirt. It is a sleeveless Thank shirt. You. you approved. Thank uh, you. He's got like some thick sunglasses and like a hat. It's like, like a beanie. Like, like a knit hat kind of. He's yeah. got a knit hat with buttons on it. One of the buttons yep. is a Union Jack button. Oh, I didn't notice that. Uh, he's He's got like a, an earring in one ear. Jim Varney gets to use that earring hole. Is he wearing like corduroys or like He's some wearing kind of... pinstripe pants. Pinstripe, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Pinstripe pants, pink socks with like gold glitter. I, I noticed the glittery socks, yes. And white. Almost, uh, almost like Pee Wee Herman shoes. Yeah, but they've got heels. They're like. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm thinking of. It's not a loafer. It's a disco. Yeah. It's a yeah, 70s. Yeah, yeah. It's like a disco shoe. Billy Boogie is stuck in the 70s. That's for true. Sure. He's super into disco. That's true. His music is amazing. <laughs> When reality recedes in a blur of blind and speed, leaving your earthly body behind, leaving you to skate with your mind. <laughs> 
yes, Billy Boogie is amazing. He just, he speaks in rhyme a lot of the time. He does. This is where I kind of went, this is not for kids. Because <laughs> Billy Boogie is the most overtly sexual whorl. Oh, he says at one point, like, I always reach my destination with a great deal of stimulation. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, all right, whatever, whatever you say <laughs> I there. I mean, he is just gyrating around the There's whole thing. That's gyration. part of his. That's part of how he entices people. He's using his sex appeal to get people to ride the scrambler. That's it true. works on one lady. I was like, who are some of the people that, that are riding the thing? There's like an elderly couple. Well, yeah, so Billy gyrates at everyone regardless <laughs> of gender or age. That's true. He's, he is a non-discriminatory <laughs> gyrator. The first group is a bunch of... Children. Correct. I mean, they're... Oh, it's like three girls, right? They're credited as brats in the credits. They're, they're not brats. They, they don't have enough of a performance this, to... This man approached them. They're brats in the same way that Lloyd is the meanest man in the world. Billy dances towards them. He calls them youngsters. He does. Oh, youngsters. Yeah. And you actually hear the girl say, ew. Correctly. Very That is correctly. how you react. And he basically, like, dance herds them into the <laughs> ride. Again, shepherding. He just, like, he just dances at them. Them and they back kind of sort of to, to get, get away to get from away him. from him exactly they get to the ride yep. and then he closes them and he says wrap your little fingers around the bars which was like so unsavory to me yeah because <laughs> everything he says sounds euphemistic yeah yeah so they're off they're on the ride it's spinning around yep the next unfortunate victims are the old couple yes this right. old man and this old lady it's the guy with heart problems I think they both have heart problems okay yeah the old woman taps on his shoulder I mean I don't even know why she's approaching him but she says young man and he says he says wanna ride something that'll strip your hide all right man he is the most overtly sexual world i don't know what you mean if someone were to say google the search term jim barney sexy not that i have but if someone were to do that <laughs> sure hypothetical let's say you... this person's name is i don't know baron or or not okay if someone were to google that they i think would get results such as Billy Boogie Worrell awakened something in me. Wow. Or Billy Boogie Worrell stood out to me. Is it the arms, a, I'm assuming? In a sexy kind of... I think it's just the overt nature. Sure, sure. The way he's asserting himself. Some sort of disco playboy. You can yeah. classify him. Yeah. But also kind of a creeper. I, those kind of tend to go hand in hand. Well, no, but I mean, like, he's not like a disco playboy in the sense... In, like, a, a Tony Manero sort of way. Like, he doesn't, like, have, like, a sharp suit or anything like that. He just sort of looks grungy and odd. Eh. When I think of disco cliches, his outfit is not the first thing I think no, of. No, no, no. He's kind of like say. a grungy disco man. That's like, what I'm saying. I mean, some people are into it, man. Uh, the children aren't. Um, Correct. The, Nor is the elderly the couple. The elderly couple is not. He dances at the elderly couple. She expresses concern because she and her husband have heart conditions, specifically her husband. Why even come to a carnival? For the, why go on the scrap? Why the approach cakes? Billy? Yeah. I feel terrible for this couple, cakes, but I'm wondering why... What are waffle cakes? Sorry. But Billy says to her, don't worry, mama. Very AC Slater of him. He puts them in the seats and he sets them off. Every time he starts one of the cars on his ride, he pulls back this giant lever that has like a shrunken head thing on yeah, it. Yeah. There's like three levels. It's like slow, fast, and boogie. Yeah. <laughs> of course there is. 
yes. I think that's what they I were. I don't think I noticed that. Yeah. We often get a close-up. Of like the head coming to camera. Head. Yeah. yeah. I have to say again, a really well edited, especially oh, this. Yeah. There's a lot of like creative edits in this. And there's a lot of like jarring cutting I mean, that really works. Cutting to the music, I think, helps a lot yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, it does. So there's the elderly couple. They're doomed. As yeah. soon as they get on that ride, their faiths are sealed. And then the third group, which is... It's like a guy and a girl. It's a guy and his girlfriend. The guy is credited as giant boyfriend. <laughs> the girl is credited as um, babe, I think. The right. Babe. Pig in the city. Billy calls her sweet Madonna of the Midway. He's a smooth dude. She's the one person that's totally into it. He dances at her. She dances with him. Like, he, like, shake dances at her, and she totally um, mirrors him. I couldn't tell if she was into him um, or high on something, or, like, uh, a combination. There was no indication that she was high when she was walking towards him. True. She was just walking with her boyfriend, like Correct. a normal couple. I think Billy his natural his, his, his musk. Yeah. Yeah. Because just overtook her. Sure. And uh, she's the only one. But he, he dances at her. Her boyfriend takes offense. And this guy is a giant. He's a giant bearded redheaded man uh, with a, like a huge belly that's coming out, out of his shirt like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Correct. And this guy is like crossing his arms at Billy and glaring. So he's like, uh oh. And he dances around Correctly. this man. He dances around this man in a way that made me laugh. It's just the image of, of Jim no Barney. No can see what you're doing. I know. You just have to watch this. The image of Jim Barney like circle dancing around this giant man. Yes. He puts them both in the car and he's like closing the bars on them. And he, I just wrote down on my notes, five minutes of uh uh-huh. He's just awing at this this lady. Yeah. He's very blatantly coming on to her. Yes. Right in front of her boyfriend. And he's like nuzzling her neck. And then like, I guess like right before her boyfriend punches Billy, Billy like kicks their car away (laughs) with his foot and off they go. And, And then it's just Billy dancing by himself saying insane things like, We'll be flying at an altitude of tropospheric proportions. (laughs) Like, what the hell does that mean? He might also be high. No, he's definitely on something. He has some sort of ring that has like a powder you can inhale in it. (laughs) That's what I imagine. He's on Boogie. He's high on Boogie. He just, he manufactures his own drug called Boogie. (laughs) I believe that. And of course, it's something you inhale because Boogie in your nose then. (laughs) Oh. You're welcome. I mean, we didn't mention, but like every once in a while, he'll punctuate something by just going, Boogie. Yeah, it's it's well cut. He dances around. Uh, the the old people start dying. That's Every, true. <laughs> everyone has different reactions to the ride. The kids basically start throwing up because Correct. of how fast it They're is. All heaving he off pushes. The sides. I think he pushes the lever to boogie level. Yeah, and the ride goes insanely fast. The kids throw up. The old people they just kind of die. Like at some point, the lady like dismantles part of the car so she can use the wires to like. Uh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, she uses the wires as like makeshift um defibrillator on her husband. Yep. But I don't think either of them fare particularly well. No. Uh, the giant boyfriend guy is just frightened by the ride. And lastly, the woman, babe, sweet Madonna of the Midway, seems to be enjoying the scrambler on a level not generally considered socially acceptable in public. That is the most roundabout way of saying <laughs> what happens. Yes. She-, she got on this ride and then she got off. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's the Billy Boogie effect. She just... Boogie. By the way, at some point during the ride, he takes a call from what is presumably his wife. I sort of didn't realize what was happening at the time, I guess. It was kind of subtle. He gets a phone call, and he, like, totally, like, turns off the boogie. He drops character, yeah. Yeah. And, like, that's kind of when you realize that Billy Boogie's a huge facade. Yeah. Because he... It's basically a conversation with his wife about... What their son's up to. He says, I don't care what you found in his room. Well, kill it. Yeah. She gives him, like, a shopping list or whatever. Yeah, like a it's a conversation bread. about an animal they found in the child's room, or some what they're going I to assume. have for dinner, and yeah, a shopping list. She tells him to pick up a loaf of bread. Right. He says, okay, bye, honey. But like, at some point during the call, he says, hang on a second. And then he just goes back and to dancing. And then he goes back to like, <laughs> he, he gyrates and pumps his fist. He's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, okay, what? It's interesting to see Billy Boogie drop character, the playboy of the midway. But not drop it too much. Like he has to like. He took a break. Take a break in the middle to like <laughs> amp himself back up. Just he has to keep himself at a certain level at all times. Well, no, he was just like, hang on a second. I have to maintain the boogie. That's it's going to be a little boogie maintenance. Yeah. And then as soon as he hangs up, he goes back to dancing. This whole thing is him dancing. Right. I have to say, I love the way he dances around the big guy and like he kicks the guy's butt. Like, he does. But he does it in such like a. It's not as much kicking as that he's pushing the man away with his foot. Yeah. And it's very stylish. It's, it's just on the edge of being like insulting, but it's got kind of like a charm to it. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like, I'm kind of intimidated by you. I'm just going to slowly push you away. There you go. It's kind of like Boogie a, there way. you go, buddy. Yeah. Boogie that way. But at some point he says, At a velocity of Mach cubed. So put on your high heel sneakers. Oh, cubed. That's what he said. Which doesn't make sense. That, that doesn't mean anything. No. Yeah. I actually do have high heeled sneakers. So put them on. Doesn't know. I did. I took them off for this. Okay. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Ernest says stuff like, "This is going to be full force and T minus." Like he just like yeah, com- yeah, yeah. he combines like bits of things. Well, he doesn't know what he's saying, but he knows it's it, it kind of sounds good and it's yeah, it's yeah. vaguely malapropismish. Yeah. But it's more about setting a a tone than it is about being correct or accurate or making any kind of sense. But this is who Ernest considers to be the most talented member of his family. I still agree. <laughs> you know, I will say he's good at his job, especially knowing that... A- that it's all a facade. Maybe not entirely. Or that, yeah. But that he is making an effort. Right. There's effort. He's on. There was an attempt. Yes. I, yeah. mean, I would say there's more than an attempt. Oh, yeah. Him. No, he's he's playing the role of the cardinal playboy. Oh, yeah. For, great. He's doing great. Yep. And then he says, tell all your little gal friends that Billy is back. Back from where? That's what I thought. Oh. And, and when he says back, he actually like turns around and points at his back. Like, yeah, I got it, Billy. You're back. <laughs> That's your back. <laughs> that might be it. I mean, the ride ends. The old people, I think, are dead. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> the kid threw up. The boyfriend is stunned. And the girl is satisfied with the experience. <laughs> To Clearly. say the least. Yeah. She's smiling in a way that somebody told her to smile a it's whole the, lot. It's the uh, <laughs> the morning after the ride. She's beaming. Yeah. She's sort of glowing. glowing. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And that's it. I think maybe women get the most out of this ride more than anyone because of the pheromones of Billy Boogie World. The children are female, but they're too young. Right. To inhale. But the the boogie funk effect. is something that, that develops as you yeah, grow Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess the lady's too old. Maybe there's a certain age range. Sure. But she was drawn to the ride she should have never gone on. So Wait, who was? The old lady. So maybe it did work. Yeah, that's some latent effects. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can never escape the tractor beam pull of Billy Boogie's inherent palpable charisma. I mean, he's he's got charm. I mean, if you had to, if you made me choose, I'd still go with Ernest. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> no, you know. I really don't know. Please elaborate. What do you mean? Ernest is nice. No, that's true. Ernest is nice. <laughs> that's it, really. Okay. Good heart. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess with Billy, you would always, you'd always have to wonder. 
Yeah, I mean, I would worry. I get it. I get it. Can never quite trust him. Trust is important, and Ernest is also more genuine. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can take him at his word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions. For all we know, Billy can be a perfectly loyal family man and just be. This is just his job. Yeah, you know, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. He goes to work. Yeah. (laughs) In every sense of the word. Do not leave your seats before the spinning feast has come to a halt, and please exit left as you come out of the octopus. Next is, well, we go back to Ernest and he's still, uh, Vern's still trying to fix his TV. And this is a weird part. Oh, yeah. It's like a kind of a play on the gag because Ernest, you would expect him to be getting electrocuted immediately, but he actually has a, a glove on, like an yeah. electrician's glove. Yeah. And then and he's holding the wires with the gloved hand. Yeah. But then for some reason or for no <laughs> he reason, cannot resist. he grabs the wires with his other hand, electrocutes himself. And then actually, this I thought was interesting. He yeah, actually yeah. says, rather than my daddy used to work on those, he says, my daddy has the other glove. Does this mean that his dad is still alive? Well, we thought that he was Could alive. Could he be a secret agent electrician? <laughs> oh, well, what about this? Maybe he was like, he was really into like electrical engineering. Uh-huh. And then like the FBI like recruited him. <laughs> and he's like, well, he seems like you're pretty good with like technology and stuff. We've got all these overseas. Like, my daddy used to work on them. Hey, that's what, he that's now what works I'm saying. for the CIA. Correct. That's, that's my positive. His father's alive. Yep. I do think his father's alive. I don't know that necessarily that ad Ernest has the same dad story as movie Ernest or hey yeah. Ernest, Ernest Ernest I don't know that any Ernest because, has the because, same dad well, story you have to remember that ad Ernest story is completely different ad Ernest has right. a wife he's got a kid somewhere right so for all we know his father's like down the road right or has completely left but took that glove and Ernest <laughs> cannot bear to replace the gloves he because he's it. waiting for his father to come back oh no I'll give you the other one when I get back Ernie no no! <laughs> Why did you have to just take has it one there? Arm. Retch Worrell is the next one, right? Yeah, so Retch Worrell is... Uh, it's like a card shark. Sort of. Oh, well, <laughs> he's a... presented as a card shark. <laughs> yeah, what's in... happening is Vern and Ernest are playing chess, and Ernest says he wishes it was cards. Very transparent segue, <laughs> Ernest. He's been looking for an opening the whole time to talk about Retch Worrell. Sure. Then he says that his great-granddaddy, so you get a relation, it's his great-grandfather, Retch Worrell, was great at playing cards, and he won and lost vast sums on the Mississippi. I believe it. I believe the lost more than I believe the won. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... totally. Well, I can believe the win, too. I mean, it's a somewhat a game of chance. He does, he does have sweet sideburns. Yes, he does. Retch Worrell is basically um, Rhett Butler from Gone with the Wind. Hmm. I've never seen that whole movie. I've never seen it at all. It's like three hours or something. But you know, Osmosis, I've seen the character played a million different ways. Right, and every parody. Well, he looks like the character from Gone with the Wind. He's got He's got a big mustache. He's got these really long sideburns. He has a hat. He has a hat. What you need for a Jim Varney character in the <laughs> Worrell family. The mustache really helps accentuate like his facial expressions. It does. It's very animated. It's a very animated because mustache. Because he's a cartoon. I mean, there's a lot of amusing intense close-ups of people's faces in this sketch because they're playing poker I like right? the sketch too oh yeah actually there's, there's not much to it but uh, there's there's some good like performance stuff <laughs> Reg, happening Reg Worrell is playing cards against um, a guy who's credited as Farley so I guess his name is Farley interesting who is actually really good the guy he's playing against oh yeah is he's, really he's good. got a great laugh he's got, he's a, got great, a great like, evil laugh facial like, expressions <laughs> yeah yeah he's like a, he's, he's just a good like foil big evil guy yep. playing against Worrell and this guy bets his girlfriend Verna interesting very interesting my note is just Verna. Three question marks. A hundred percent. 
definitely Vern's great grandmother. I believe it. One hundred percent. What does that imply? Let's well, let's let's see. Let's see what happens. So this guy Farley, he throws Verna into the pot. Everyone watching the card game gasps, like, "Oh my God, they've been going together for three years." One of the people that gasps is Daniel Butler. Yeah. And I was delighted by that. <laughs> he's got his hair is powdered gray. I was saying he's nearly unrecognizable under like makeup and like. He's uh, holding binoculars he, on his He's got stick. like opera binoculars. And so these two other guys that are playing with them bow out because they don't have women to bet. They can't match the bet. This is also kind of inappropriate. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, we do not approve of betting women in poker games or yeah. in any way treating humans as property. <laughs> yeah. Wretch doesn't have a woman either, but he says, I believe my credit is good here, sir. And then he just writes an IOU for one. Woman, and there's like a picture of a woman or yeah, something. Like that, right? It's like yeah. on the like that would be on a bathroom. Exactly that. Yes. <laughs> Where is he getting a woman? I, Which one? I don't know. One of the guys says, "Can I go home and get my sister?" Which is funny. <laughs> yeah. So Vern is in the pot. There's the IOU of the woman. It's just Wretch and Farley. One of the bits that I like is at some point, what does Farley call him? Like not chicken because oh, that's too big. Cat. Frady Cat. Well, sir, I consider that an insult. No world has ever been called a Frady Cat, to my knowledge. And Wretch Worrell has what's essentially the address book of Worrell insults, which is he pulls out this thing that is literally an address book, like an old like flip up address book. Mm-hmm. And is like flipping through the alphabetical listing of like things in the F section <laughs> yeah, that, that he's that been, called been called before. Not like, just him, but all like, Worrells. I've, I've never been called. A f- yeah. Oh, that's right. He, he says no, no Worrell has, has ever been, been called, called a Freddy cat. cat. Yeah. And then he opens this list of insults yeah. that have been given to Worrells. He has documented uh, evidence <laughs> that that I is the case. I love that the Worrells have been writing down things they've been called. Yeah. It's been passed down. It's also continuing in the tradition of everything in earnest film and television specials is bought from a 99 cent store and mm. or was something that my family owned because we totally had that address book. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I recognized it immediately. What store did you go to? I don't recognize any I of these objects. No, I was a child. Well, I should say before that, Wretch actually wins the hand that Verna was placed into and this is what I did laugh at. Since Wretch won, the guy Farley just throws her across the table. That's true. I did laugh mainly because Jim Barney has no reaction to it whatsoever. She rolls across in front of him down onto the floor and he just says, your word would have been sufficient, sir. The complete non-reaction to her rolling across the table made me laugh. But then she's like, Wretch, I'm glad you won me. <laughs> and we should also say he's been like chomping on a cigar this whole time. Oh, yeah. So he's got a cigar in his Jeez. mouth and every time he turns to her... She She's very close to him. They're, they're... Well, she's cuddling. She's already cuddling up to him. Right. But because he's got this long cigar in his mouth, which is lit, <laughs> every time he turns to look at her, Aww. he's essentially putting the cigar ash onto her face. He singes her face. And then, like, as the sketch goes on, there's just, like, more and more, like, oh, smoldering God. ash spots on this poor woman's face. It's a good gag. It's it is a good terrible. gag. Yeah. There's always, there's always a little every time yeah. and she's taking it i mean he's he's a handsome oral sure. you know like i i can see why she's tolerating it but everyone has their limits dave uh yes and I, we should say at this point actually the woman playing verna was not at the time but eventually john r cherry the third's wife oh that's interesting yeah i did not know that and she's good yeah he, uh he says to her at one point stick with me verna and you'll be wearing buffalo chips as big as that You laughed really hard at that, and I had no idea what buffalo chips were. Oh, yeah. What the heck are they? It's essentially crap. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that is really funny. (laughs) I didn't know that. Buffalo chips, the dried dung of buffalo used as fuel, especially by early settlers on the Western Plains. That's amazing. So so there you go. It's big as diamonds. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, it's doubly (laughs) nonsensical. (laughs) 
Okay, that's great. I love the sketch too. I mean, this late, is a fun one. It's got a late Western, like, plinky piano kind yeah, of vibe yeah, to it, which whole, I really enjoy. Yeah, going through the whole time. It's just a really, yeah. like, fun, atmospheric one. Yeah, definitely. You know, like, there's a crowd around them watching. Mm-hmm. The piano's a tinkling. There's, there's good reactions from, like, mm-hmm. uh, the extras. This is kind of extras like, yeah. I should say the sketch has really good energy. Yep. Because the crowd that. is contributing to the energy. Yeah, as we react, the crowd also reacts, and yeah. then we can react to the reactions, and yeah, it's good. There's good interplay. So at this point, now that Wretch has won Verna, the guy Farley really wants to get her back. Right. So he says he's going to bet all his saloon girls. Where are those other human beings <laughs> I can put into this pot? <laughs> Yeah. Hey. Oh, yeah, yeah. What year is this? I, I mean, I, I assume it's like 1890s. This is before or after suffrage. Oh, I don't know. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll bet X and Y all my saloon girls to get back Verna. And that's where he calls Wretch a Frady Cat if he doesn't match the right. bet. Although, I don't know, I guess he's writing an IOU for a bunch more women and just... I guess, yeah, I don't know what his other collateral is. I don't know what his is. other bet is. Yeah. But he takes the bet, because he can't be called a Freddy cat. Sure, he's got that McFly blood in him. And they play this hand, and this is where, like, they're being dealt cards, and Wretch is reacting to the cards he gets with, like, extremely overt expressions. Yeah, he has expressions no poker face. Whatsoever! Yeah, it's pretty great. At some point, he looks really nervous, and then at another point, his mouth goes extremely wide. Yeah. The, the great width to which Jim Barney his mouth can open. Is taken advantage of fully. <laughs> he had to be an actor. You can't not oh, yeah. use that. Of course. This is where the very dramatic laying down of the cards. The hand he has, yeah. Happens. Farley's got two pair, uh, like a really high two pair. And Wretch, with great uh, anticipation. He's revealing the cards of his hand super slowly, one at a time. <laughs> yeah. Really drawing out the suspense. Suspense is the word. Very slowly putting down his head and like chuckling as he does it. Yeah. Like chuckling the entire time. And everyone's just watching with bated breath. And they're like, he's got a flush. He's got a straight. Some of the people there are French for I think some reason. Yes, I think they're making up some like hands that I'd never heard of before also. Oh, yeah. It turns out to be... Doesn't Nothing. it turn out to be just like a giant mishmash of yeah. cards? Yeah, like he's bluffing on something. <laughs> and it just keeps like escalating. Like he's bluffing on a mismatch of cards. And then it turns out that he doesn't actually know what cards <laughs> That's are. the best. The- he's like, oh, the woman with the Q on it. Farley reads out the hand. A 10, a queen, a seven, a two, and a four. All different suits. And Volley starts laughing at how dumb Wretch is. And then poor Verna is like, Wretch, you idiot. You bluffed with nothing. And then he says, he says basically like that's how it goes sometimes. But then he like keeps talking and basically reveals that he actually doesn't really know yeah. what the cards are. Yeah. He's, he's like, dumber than we thought. He's like, I could have sworn that two pair be, wait, no, that's not it. No. And it's like, you see Verna like. The realization is dawning on yeah, her. I love that she calls him an idiot. Red, you yep. idiot. I love the way she's, she says this really well she goes Rich, you're so incredibly stupid fiddle de dee verna <laughs> fiddle de dee verna yeah very straight faced he's just smiling and then he burns her with his cigar again again, again. this is where and then she's like for like yeah she's had enough i've made a huge mistake <laughs> He walks away, and then he keeps talking about the cards like he doesn't know what they are. Doesn't the camera like start to pull back it away from him? It starts to pull back as he says, 
I could have sworn if you had a little gentleman in a yellow hat <laughs> and a little gentleman in a red hat in conjunction with the rather plain lady with the cube beside her head. <laughs> yes. Like, uh, he doesn't even know what the cards are. Do you know what cards are, sir? Wretch is like the worst kind of handsome. Really handsome, but dumb as rocks. Yep. That's where Ernest gets his good looks. And nothing else. <laughs> he did do the, in the chess game with Vern, he did do the crown me thing, which I appreciate. Yeah, we go, yes, he inherited his complete inability to play games the of strategy. Game, yeah. Yeah, it cuts back to Ernest. He does the gag where he plays chess as checkers with all the bravado of Wretch. He's inherited bravado. Ernest is definitely not lacking for bravado or <laughs> keeping a brave face on, despite what knowledge he may or may not possess about whatever it is he doing. Yeah, you actually think that Wretch was just bluffing, but then it actually kind of turns out that he's he bluffing be- the entirety of his existence at that card table was could be considered a bluff. Yeah. I'm just going to pretend like I know that I'm a card player. You sound incredibly stupid. <laughs> Fiddle D. <laughs> I feel like that's a Gone with the Wind reference too. I actually wrote down like maybe this is what started the enmity. If Chief Running Vern didn't, this also fuels the enmity between oh, like, Vern and Ernest's families. That yeah. Verna is still burned. Yeah, that's a grudge that was passed yeah, down from yeah, generation to generation. Yeah, she's just like, Warls! Yeah. Where's Vern's family album? I want to see that. It's just a bunch I think of like Vern dis- is in there. disembodied hands. Pictures of pictures hands. Of, pictures of ladders. <laughs> Open television sets, cars. Views from roofs. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think Verna definitely told her children and children's children about stupid wretch Worrell. Gather round. (laughs) Terrible. I'll tell you the story of an idiot. (laughs) There's bad blood between these two families. I buy it. But wretch is nothing against Verna. No. So it, it works. Wretch has nothing. He And he's indebted very many women. Those IOUs are uh, going to come <laughs> they and They rack up, man. Yeah. So the, this last part of the family album is actually something that, you know, if there was anything that I should have seen before we watched Ernest at uh, Disneyland. Disneyland. I almost mm-hmm. said Splash Mountain. So this is the, the segment with Pop or Pops, depending on what sentence is being said <laughs> at any given time. I think this kid is pretty consistent in calling him Pop. This kid has maybe two lines of dialogue that he says about 87 times. <laughs> Pop, let's go fishing. It's not, Pop, let's go fishing. The, Pop, let's go fishing. It is not that child's fault that those were the only lines he was given. Sure, sure. Long story short, this is the introduction of Pop Worrell, mm-hmm. uh, who is Ernest's grandfather, correct? Yeah. It's explicitly stated in this that it's his grandfather. Whereas in the Disneyland special, their relationship is never defined. He just says pop. So that that caused me a lot of confusion. Oh, pop is pop is really old. I would say on his way out. Yes. Actually, thanks to Justin Lloyd. We now know that pop is actually derived from Jim Varney's father. Oh, interesting. Like, not that Pop is based on Jim Varney's father, right. but based on somebody his father knew or worked with. Or... Oh, gotcha. That's cool that he kind of, like, kind of pulled personages from, like, stories and, like, actual things. Yeah, and... yeah. I mean, he's really, he he was really a character actor. In, like, in the truest sense of the yeah, word. Yeah, like, it was all about creating a character for him. Yeah. And, like, embodying that. Right. And building out these whole personalities and stories. He was really into telling stories as different characters. Yeah, that comes across. It's just really interesting. And nobody tells stories more than Pop. Did I ever tell you about the time that me and Harriet was in a group called the Andrews Sisters? 
How is Laverne and Jay with Shirley? Yeah, you can call them <laughs> stories. You could also they call them stories. inane babble. They're short and they make no sense. They have the structure st- of a story. <laughs> yeah. I, will, I will grant him that. In this sketch, basically, little Ernest shows up on Pop's porch and says, Let's go fishing, Pop! And it takes a very long time for Pop to actually pick up his fishing pole yeah. because first he has to take out the paddle ball that Ernest is playing with and comment on it at length. You know, it's a paddle with a little rubber ball and a, an elastic string. And Pop cannot do it. And he attributes yeah. his inability to do it to the string being too long. Mm. And he's like, well, the string is too long. It takes too much time for the ball to get to the... the pa-. This is the kind of thing Pop talks about. Yeah. So it takes a while, but little Ernest finally gets him to pick up his fishing pole so that they can go fishing. And they pick up Pop's friend, Queequay. Uh, so essentially the fact that they're going fishing means that this is the best time for some sort of Moby Dick allegory to the extent that there is a, a direct Moby Dick reference in the form of this very questionable character he's called Queequeg there's a character in Moby Dick named Queequeg yeah so it's a slightly different but it essentially seems to be the same character he's got a harpoon the character Queequeg in Moby Dick is basically a tattooed harpoonist cannibal man yeah native to a fictional island in the South Pacific Ocean. Sure. He might have been slightly more in place in a 1851 novel. Yeah. In a 1984 (laughs) television special, it's uncomfortably odd. At best. Yeah. Queequeg tags along. Yeah. His fishing buddy. I mean, that implies that Pop is as old as Moby Dick. Uh, Moby Dick the book? Or Moby yeah. Dick the... There's these, all these weird tie-ins. Pop knows a guy who's basically from Moby Dick. Ace Worrell shot down King Kong. I mean, it seems like all the Worrells are kind of like ingrained in sort of tall tale historical yeah. events. Davy Crockett is kind of like that. Yeah. I, I'm not actually sure if I Davy think Crockett Davy Crockett is, a real, is a real person. All right. Still sort of like larger than life folk, yeah. folk heroes kind and of. And Worrells are larger than life of course right well that's 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 where i'm saying the the sort of yeah uh, yeah the tie-in comes so they go fishing yeah so i should say the whole time they're picking up queequay they're walking to the lake wherever it is that they're fishing pop is just doing what pop does which is telling insane stories yeah he is monologuing at length like one of my favorites is that he says i once saw a woman dance with a potato chip bag (laughs) (laughs) wait was it a giant potato chip bag he just said potato chip bag that's so weird. And then they're walking around and Pop keeps talking about this character named Harriet. We have oh, no idea yeah. who he is. He references Harriet constantly. You that it was potentially his wife, right? I assume because he talks about her so often. Yeah. But he also mentions that Harriet went to Minnesota and Toronto and like and all these places. So it seems like maybe they weren't tied together and Harriet's just a friend. Maybe they weren't married and Harriet's mi- just a or friend. Or maybe it's the kind of thing where Harriet left and to ease the pain, Pop has <laughs> made up all this stories about oh, how she's no. like a great traveler. Yeah, I mean Harriet could be Ernest's uh, grandmother. Right. But he always just t- he talks about Harriet and a bunch of guys Harriet dated. Oh, I didn't catch that. Because he says That's when Harriet was in New Orleans seeing a man who had patented a way to make chocolate chip cookies last forever by using baked on enamel and high explosives. And then he says, he says, then Harriet took up with a man, and he uses the phrase took up with a man, who kept World War I torpedoes in the front of a 36 Chrysler. And Pop is just saying this very matter-of-factly. Yes, no. You know, like... As you're saying these things, they're coming back to me, but I think at the time my brain was just like, that doesn't make a lick of sense, and just sort of like excised them from uh, short-term memory. I remember all of them. Yeah. It lit up little areas of my brain, and my brain was like, holding on to that, holding on to that, holding on to that. 
what what else would your brain have room for if you didn't uh, remember they're walking, the, uh, he the says, ramblings? He asks Ernest, have you ever seen a gypsy woman turn a ring into a tablecloth? What? That's what he says. No, I, that was a rhetorical what, <laughs> as is often my reaction. And then he says, that was 34. You don't remember 34. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that part, yeah. And then he immediately follows up with, Ernie, you having fun? Yes, sir. Well, me too. Aw. That's actually kind of sweet. Is that before or after he hooks young Ernest with a fish hook? Uh, before. Of course it is. So they get to, yeah, they arrive at the, the campsite. <sighs> poor child. The fishing site. Pop asks Queequeg how the fishing's going to be, at which point Queequeg picks up a bucket that is labeled Them Bones, which has bones in it. He rolls the bucket onto. <laughs> he shakes the bucket yeah. and then, like, pours the bones onto the ground. And it spells out Ernest. What is that? I don't. I haven't read Moby Dick. And then Queequeg, I don't think Queequeg speaks English. He roars. He just goes ah. Also uncomfortable. Pop is like, is that is it? It's gonna be good. And I think Queequeg kind of makes an affirmative kind of sound. So I guess the fact that the bones spell out Ernest is a good thing. I find that hard to believe. We found this. Given, given Ernest's track record <laughs> with uh, fate and uh, chance. I find that hard to believe. I mean, if, if, it's, if Bone spelled out Ernest, to me, I would take it as an omen. As much as I love bad Ernest. Omen. Yeah. Even though I love Ernest. If we're talking about things in terms of luck and something spells no, out Ernest, the, I'm like, oh. For all intents and purposes, these are the bones of a once living human that are now spelling out Ernest's name. Yeesh. Are they human bones? I assumed they were human. I mean, they look like fingers. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. I said that a few times. Correctly. But anyways, it's not a good sign because then as Pop is hooking the worm, it's the same thing that happens in the Disneyland special. He but asks It's a little bit more uncomfortable here. Like I feel like uh... I feel like this Ernest this young Ernest feels a lot more vulnerable to me. Disneyland Ernest seems like a little bit more like I think the Disneyland Ernest kid he seems a little bit is more, more like an actual actor. Like right. uh, he, he speaks more. Yeah. Like he's got more lines and he seems like uh, this kid, Ernest, like he kind of knows what's going on. Right. This Ernest does seem very vulnerable, and like he doesn't really understand what's happening. He seems more just like a kid version of adult Ernest to me. Maybe even a little bit slower. Yeah. Which I think makes it I cringe a little bit more at the hook thing. But in the Disneyland one, we hear him screaming, and not so much in this one. True. And I actually missed the screams because I thought that was funny. Yeah. But yeah, Pop says, here, Ernie, you hook it. The harrowing part happens when Ernest gets the hook in his finger and Pop's like, I'll help. And he takes out a knife. And then you're like, oh, dear. And then Ernest runs off, maybe because he's afraid. And as he runs off, he's pulling the line from Pop's (laughs) fishing line with him. And you just hear this underscoring everything Pop then says. It's just like this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yes, the wire coming up. The wire unraveling yeah. on the fishing line. And Pop immediately forgets what's happening. He's like, oh, I got one. Yeah. And he enlists Queequeg in, like, pulling him backwards. Like, all of a sudden, there's a chair there. Yeah, I didn't understand that. And Queequeg straps Pop into this chair. It's like a seatbelt or something. Yeah. And then, like, holds Pop as Pop tries to reel in for from, Ernest. From this barber chair or whatever it is. <laughs> it kind of looks like the Captain Kirk, like, captain's chair it's a little chaotic. bit. It's chaotic. Yeah. It's completely chaotic. Oh, wait, well, is it a captain's chair? Is this... We really just need to read Moby Dick, (laughs) and that will help inform. We need to read Moby Dick, watch Gone with the Wind. uh, (laughs) And every John Wayne and Davy Crockett. Yes. We'll we'll finally find out who the the weird talking guy guy is. He's some kind of a character. I don't really know who he's all about. So, Kwekwe picks up this harpoon, because he's from Moby Dick. Right. And throws it. It's got a rope attached to it. 
And because Pop has the luck of a whorl, the rope attached to the harpoon wraps around Pop's foot and, like, basically pulls him into the lake. Yes. At which point, Queequeg just waves bye-bye to us. Like, that's it, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it. It's a very, like, Mary Melody's, like, ending. <laughs> the iris yeah. closes in on him, except it doesn't. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned that he's wearing, like, 3D glasses or oh, something. Right. Okay, yeah. Why is he wearing 3D glasses? I don't know. Because 1980s? The Queequeg in Moby Dick can't possibly be wearing 3D glasses. Hang on. Does anyone know? <laughs> <laughs> we have so many questions for you guys. Does anyone know why Queequay is wearing 3D glasses? Because we do not. He's got 3D glasses for some reason. I know why he's tattooed. I know why he has a harpoon. Right. I don't know why he's wearing 3D glasses. Nor do I. Is there a Jaws joke in there? What year was Jaws, Jaws 3D? 3D? <laughs> I no, we're reaching. That's too far. Yeah, Let's know. move on. Please. So we're at the end. Yeah. Ernest has taken all day because it's nighttime. That's describing true. his family. Oh, Vern, to Vern. You poor soul. Uh, he's at the front door because now he's come in with a Polaroid camera, mm-hmm. which he calls one of these new 10 second jobbies. Yeah. I did appreciate to speak positively to Ernest's intelligence. Uh huh. He took the Polaroid photo and did not shake it. Nope. You're not supposed to shake those guys. Don't do it. It might have been before people started doing that. Don't shake like a Polaroid photograph. Yeah, don't shake the, the Polaroid. Song, it doesn't help that song it. Lyric but, um, is. No, it actually is bad. I mean, it's not bad in like take a, care of your Polaroid folks, sense. and your Polaroids will take care of you. So Ernest says because he and Vert are so close that he considers him part of his family, and he says they're like brothers, which is why I think they're about the same age in this. Yep. I actually really appreciate the sort of intentional misdirection <laughs> that they sort of characterize Vern with. It's like looking at a bust of Vern and saying, oh, it looks just like you when there's it's no nothing. features. <laughs> Walking into Vern's house and being like, oh, your house is very you when there's nothing remarkable <laughs> no about idea. it. Well, or, or even what that means in yeah, the context we have no of, idea what that means. I just met you. This <laughs> okay. house is very you. What does that even say about what you look like? I have no clue. But sort of like the opposite ends of the spectrum ways mm-hmm. in which that is brought forth i find very entertaining in a way where it's like all right you guys now you're just trying to like mess with us intentionally and i think that's funny yes yeah, hilarious <laughs> so ernest is like since we're so close like brothers yeah you should be in my family album so that's just why he's ernest brought is nice oh ernest is sweet which is why he's brought the polaroid camera so he takes a photo of Vern, and then he looks at it as it's developing <laughs> and this is just jim martin just plays this very well mm-hmm. which is that he's looking at the photo he looks at Vern, he starts to say something he stops and you get the sense that he's looking at various parts of Vern's face and finding it amusing and giggling about it. You know, Vern, I didn't realize you had a kind of a... You know, it looks like... Look at this. You, uh, Maybe he's, he's noticing Vern's big Jim Varney nose. <laughs> he's like, hey, Vern, I never noticed you look exactly like me. But yeah, like, Ernest is giggling at the photo, looking back and forth. And he starts laughing and he calls out to Edna because he's going to show her this hilarious picture of Vern. <laughs> and Vern just slams the door behind him. Hey, that's the end. Oh, no, it's not the end, actually. Over the credits, dun, dun, dun. Over the credits we get more pop. Oh, yes. It's just more pop telling more stories as they're walking along. They just had hours of that footage. They had hours. This time Pop is saying something like, he says, I'm like, and that's when that blonde woman who was a Nazi Oh yeah, this was the thing we couldn't figure out. She was a Nazi spy. Who was a Nazi spy, escaped from that prison Yeah. And then she went up to Toronto and then we sent Harriet up there to feed her. <laughs> I was like, what? They're pet yeah. Nazi blondes? <laughs> 
And then, uh, well, I did. I did a Google search, and there was like a Nazi spy who was named. Oh, I can't remember her name, but she was like a ballerina. And she oh, was really? Interesting. Yeah. Could Pop be referencing like actual historical things? Uh, there's a first time for everything. And he says that Harriet then like landed a plane in a First National Bank parking lot, and then he says that. <laughs> And then he says Harriet got a weird virus in Minnesota, I think, and then gave it to Queequeg, who then went to London and traded the virus for a 36 Chrysler. This is stuff that Pop is saying. None of it makes any sense. Pop's brain is like a Mad Libs pad. <laughs> it's like an inverse Mad Libs pad. It has all of the nouns and adjectives. So it has 36 Chrysler and Harriet <laughs> and other nonsense. And then he just fills in the story in between it. Poor Pop. Poor Ernest. Yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> this is Ernest's family. Yeah. What can we say? How does this shape him? Well, you know, I think it doesn't shape him directly insofar as, I mean, obviously he hasn't interacted with any of these people except for Pop. Except for Pop, yeah. But I think we can see sort of where certain world traits come from or where they existed earlier in history. Yeah. And so we can almost sort of forgive Ernest's shortcomings in a way where it's like, oh, honey, it's not just you. This has of been going. This has been going no, on. No, Ernest while. didn't just come out of a vacuum. Sure, that's something we can take away from this and, too. And no one, and no one does. No, except for like dust mites. I mean, definitely, Davy Worrell passed down his acting ability yep. and multiple personality disorder, yep. which doesn't show up in everything. Right. But occasionally, Ernest seems affected by it. Not all the time. Right. But sometimes. I guess Ace Worrell, what, what would he take from him? A oh, penchant for uh, demonstrating things with very shabbily made props. I think Ace is just a thing that Ernest can be proud of. Sure. I also feel like Ace Worrell didn't really happen. No, that's... well. Why? I mean, maybe Ace Worrell was a real person, but sure. I don't believe that he shot King Kong off the Empire State Building. Right. I would believe that he said he did. Sure. As Ace got older, the line between fact and fiction blurred. Sure. And, sure. you know, the stories that he passed down, the oral history the, the oral world history, world history <laughs> is diluted with half truths and half fictions this special as a whole certainly reflects that reg i believe 100 percent existed i mean he's also a little closer he's the great granddaddy maybe yep. that history is a little more accurate some photos to see i would love an old-timey photo of retch Worrell. uh listeners anyone <laughs> if you've got that and can make aaron's dreams come true please let us know he's so incredibly stupid <laughs> who are we missing Oh, Billy Boogie. What did oh, Ernest really? take from him is obviously the... Uh, he the didn't take factor. anything from him because they're contemporaries. They're cousins. He's oh, not an ancestor. Right. Right, right, right. But I think they both have a certain amount of showmanship in common. Sure. And that's a moral trait. And Arms are similar. Very, very similar arms. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, best arm scene. B -b best <laughs> arm scene. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> it goes to Billy Boogie during his phone break. And he takes a moment from speaking with his wife to just pump his fist. He's got to good that genetics. deadly disco sound. <laughs> it's a great moment. You guys can't see, but Erin is pumping her fist And even my little bicep. Yeah, you're going. not bad. It's lovely. And then, of course, Lloyd. Yep. Good old great uncle Lloyd. I want one for you, boy. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit disappointed that the word Pison did not come up once. 
Oh, but, yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll live with it. Well, again, that's a different guy. That's true. Same Jim Varney character, but different in the Ernest world. Right. But, you, but now you channeling. know what Ernest based. He's channeling yeah. his uncle. Yeah. And then I think the other thing to take away from this, you know, whenever we discuss the mystery of Vern's age slash appearance slash human body, uh-huh. there's always a question of how long has this been going on? And, Very long and time. The answer in a historical sense is for generations. Generations and generations. Which is also hilarious. I think Chief Running Burns definitely. Oh, yeah. Ancestry. Oh, yeah. His name is Running Vern? Running like, I need to get away from Ernest? <laughs> I don't know about that. I would like to believe that. But I really like the idea of Verna being burned by Rich World. Both like, literally and figuratively. <laughs> yes, and passing down that grudge yep. to her children's children's children. And uh, I'll tell you what I know about the Warrell family. That's her at like Christmas <laughs> being cranky. She's so incredibly stupid. <laughs> you know what I do like that Ernest considers Lloyd to be mean because Ernest is a sweetie oh, pie. You know, that's true. If we take it as Ernest describing what he considers the meanest man in the world, then it is appropriate. I will accept that. Ernest is precious. Ernest is. This is a special special. It is. I'm glad to have finally seen it. I feel like it helped. You know, it definitely still wasn't what I was expecting, but it is, as we said earlier, a Jim Varney tour de force. And it answers answers a bunch of my sort of broad questions mentally about where things started and where things kind of came from. It fills in the blanks, essentially. I mean, you got to know your your oral heritage. (laughs) That's true. And I do now. Still very curious about where Auntie Nelda fits into all this. I don't think she's related to Ernest. I agree with that. But that doesn't that's kind of a non answer still. It's like where does she come from? Where does she go? Where does I she would come like from? to know Cotton if Nigel. Auntie Nelda is based on a specific person because he seems would... very specific. Mm. Very specific. Yes. Actually, uh, I was walking home from the train with Tom, our friend from the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about just sort of the insanity of Haver and Disc 2. and uh, oh, I really stuck with him. Re- re- We've re- ruined re- him. We brought him into the fold is what I'll say. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that came up in conversation was just I was like, if I'm going to cosplay Auntie Nelda at some point, oh my God. where would I even, I guess I would have to make that dress? Yep. I don't know. You would have to, just like Ernest. It's on the list. That would be insane if you cosplayed Auntie Nelda. Like I would just need to cut all of her dialogue together, play it back on a loop so I could like memorize all of her intonations. Oh, jeez. I don't half-ass you my You know, cosplay. David, when you cosplay, you are very in character the whole time oh, yeah. and it frightens me. That's and mission accomplished. I think to be around Auntie Nelda for that long, I think <laughs> would I would find intimidating and and a little unsettling. Well, now I have to do it. Hey. Well, then I'll just be earnest. You won't deflect. This sounds amazing. You will not deflect my this enthusiasm. You can't pierce my shield of optimism. All right. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Target date 2018. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us for episode seven. Hey, Vern, it's my family album. I hope we've managed to do justice to this. Just watch it, guys. <laughs> like, just watch it. Having just watched this with Erin and then discussed it with her at length, she has done the best job that we could expect. <laughs> expect anyone to do in parsing this insanity. Well, thank you. It it must be seen to be believed and to be uh, absorbed. So check it out. Follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, uh, rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe on iTunes. Rating the podcast very much helps and reviews very much help. Mm -hmm. It helps other people find the podcast, which I actually hope that people do find the podcast after we're done because we do have a limited run and I'm really hoping that, you know, in the year 2076, people are still able to find this. My boy Groblinak, he's going to find it under a statue. (laughs) So we'll see you for an earnest extra and then... Ooh, what's that? (laughs) Ooh, what's that?
Ernest goes to jail. Oh, man. It's taken a long time, Dave. And, you know, and I'm a completist. Sure. I want to do this right. Give everything its due time before we really step into that movie world. Certainly. Ernest is such like a multifaceted character. It's, you know, we've done things sort of chronologically, but at the same time, we've, al- we've also done them sort of like as they became relevant. Mm-hmm. And I think it is time to get back into the movies. It's and time. Jail is, a, is another one from my childhood that I'm looking forward to revisiting now having undergone all of this indoctrination. <laughs> See you next time, listeners. Cool. Take care, everybody. Viva LaVarney. Varney.